Oh, my God. 
Recorded live at and broadcasting from the Evelyn Rubenstein Jewish Community Center of Houston, Texas. This is a Wednesday morning edition of JM in the AM. My name is Nahum Siegel, and we are here at the JCC in Houston after having taken an amazing and incredible, in many ways very sad, in many ways very hopeful, tour of uh, this neighborhood, which was devastated six weeks ago, you'll recall in what's being known as a Memorial Day storm, a Motsayantif storm that Monday night, six weeks ago last night, or I should say Monday night, is uh, when it happened. And uh, today we got to meet some of the people who have been going through some very difficult and trying situations since that night. Uh, we also visited some institutions that are uh, going through their own trials and tribulations. And today we're here at the uh, Jewish Community Center of Houston, Texas, where hopefully we'll be able to shed some light onto what's been happening down here and encourage people to uh, think about our brethren here in Houston, Texas, to possibly uh, support our brothers and sisters in Houston, Texas, and certainly to give some moral support to the community here in Houston, Texas. This is not the first time we've hit the road when it's uh, been a uh, a, a storm-themed uh, tragic episode. You were called two and a half years ago. We were in Woodmere when we focused on a whole bunch of different neighborhoods and communities in our own area of New York and New Jersey that had been hit so hard by Superstorm Sandy. Uh, many of the scenes uh, for us are similar to that. But now we've traveled uh, many, many miles to be here in Houston and to uh, examine the situation and to show some solidarity. And there are a lot of people in this audience. I shouldn't say a lot. There's some people in this audience uh, a couple in particular who were very anxious to see us hit the road, come to Houston, show support, and really continue this amazing mission of JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. I am joined uh, today here in Houston, of course, by our engineer ZK, and a big thank you to Stan, who's in our studio. Uh, the two people who are joining me on the air to start this off, uh, the general manager of the Nahum Siegel Network, Miriam L. Wallach. Nice to have you here. Good morning. And a uh, big hello to our producer who has done an exemplary <laughs> job as usual, and we know that this show is going to sound great because of him, and that's Mark Zomik. Mark, good morning to you as well. Good morning. No. So uh, your first impressions of today's tour of the storm-ravaged area of Houston, Texas that we visited? I think the only word that I could use was breathtaking for a lot of, for a lot of reasons. First um, is driving through the streets from the airport and certainly during our tour of the community couldn't tell there was really anything wrong. Certainly you see maybe more construction trucks than you would see, maybe a little bit more debris outside. You really can't tell anything happened. Going into people's homes, and we're going to post some pictures, are it really truly takes your breath away at the loss of so much in the Jewish community. And then to go see UOS, you know, UOS the, the big Orthodox school in the neighborhood, a United Orthodox synagogue, and to see their entire main sanctuary completely gutted, um, and then on the flip side, to, it's sort of at the end of our trip to go see the conservative shul, which was I, like really no words in, from the f- other side of it. I'd never seen a shul like at that level of 
height of size and beauty, and it was really just amazing, the gamut of emotions. But breathtaking, I think, was the only word I could Oh, there's an incredible history in this community, that's for sure, and we'll speak to some of the people who are... Uh who could tell us more about it during this program. Uh, Miriam L. Wallach saw in her own backyard what happened <laughs> during Superstorm Sandy. Um, thank God, as I think we have mentioned on the air, your family was relatively unscathed. I right? cannot in, complain. In the scheme of things. Correct. I cannot uh, complain. But you saw a lot and showed me a lot of what had been going on in that neighborhood at that time two and a half years ago. What were your impressions today? So the word I would use is speechless, which is a word we don't like to use in our business because <laughs> it's bad for business. But um, when... When I, as a person who never has a lack of anything to say, walk into a location and there are, there are no words that come. First of all, it was, it was a flashback to two and a half years ago with Hurricane Sandy and walking into homes of my friends that, that it was the exact same scene and, and the devastation and the look on the faces of the families as to we don't know what's next and, and who's going to tell us what's next. And there's that desperation and there's that loss. Um, there's the, the bottles of Clorox and the baking soda and all the, and the smells, the wafting of the smells of, of mildew and, and everything that the, the efforts that people are taking to start rebuilding their lives. We're not even at the rebuilding. We're still at the cleanup. That's right. Um, you know, pictures filled with dust things strewn all over the place, Any, anything that somebody could potentially grab during the storm and put it a higher or el- more elevated place in order to rescue it, you see things are completely a- out of sorts uh, as if that location itself was hit. And, and to what Mark was saying before, yeah, you drive down the street, there are dumpsters, there is this, there's piles of garbage outside, there's sheetrock, there's debris of sheetrock, and then you look closer and realize you can see through these people's homes straight to the back because the homes are empty. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, the the first notion I think that we in this and this audience had, the majority of this audience had, about what was going on down here was, as you mentioned, the Mark United Orthodox Synagogues and the pictures we saw, and many of us know her by Barry Gelman, one of the people in Houston that is very well known to the Newark, New Jersey uh, community. Um, so those were our first impressions. Now, I will tell you that when I walked into the synagogue today, I didn't expect to see what I saw. In other words, I was, and I'm sure everybody around this country thinks, many people around the country think the same thing, that, you know, there's a few weeks of cleanup, you know, and, and sure enough, once all this cleanup is done, the shul, as an example, is relatively back to normal. And this is a sanctuary that now they have to decide what the future brings, and are they going to rebuild or not, and are they right. going to move to a different location, and all these different questions. It's uh, what, it's a much more severe situation than most uh, of us think. I, I think that people will hear, hopefully, during the, the show, there are a number of themes that are going to run through. One is there's still a lot of question in people's minds. Any of the families that we've met really don't know yet what their reimbursement on the insurance is going to be. There's right. a lot of unknown. There's a big fear that a lot of the community might move away. Right. There's a big com- fear that a lot of community might not be able to afford to rebuild. The shul is in flux. And yet, we saw even today, and you'll, you know, you'll hear through the balance of the show, a tremendous amount of hope. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, for the future, and we're very Camaraderie, yes. neighborliness, and, and outreach from other communities that have nothing to do, that, that, that one would think are very far from the Jewish community, other uh, people of other uh, ethnic groups and uh, religious groups that have come through with tremendous, uh, really, brotherhood. Uh, to help each other out both ways, by the way, Jewish community reaching out, other communities reaching out to within the Jewish community, really amazing. Uh, let's introduce our first guest, and that's uh, Joel Dinkin, who is the executive vice president of the JCC. I mentioned we're in the Evelyn Rubenstein Jewish Community Center of Houston, Texas. 
And that means they are our hosts. They felt it valuable enough when they heard we wanted to come down to Houston to host us here, to literally do the show, if you're watching the video, to literally do the show in our um, in their uh, in their foyer, in their beautiful vestibule, in their lovely lobby. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And uh, the executive uh, vice president of the JCC is Joel Dinkin. Joel, welcome to the Nahum Siegel Network. Welcome. Thank you for coming to Houston. I, uh, thank I, you for being at the JCC. I thank you for that, and uh, it's great to be here. It does seem already, even though this team is only here for a relatively short number of hours, that this is a very important epicenter of the Jewish community. Could you describe to our listeners how vital this JCC is? Uh, yes, I can. So first, uh, in regard to the, uh, the recent devastation with the flood, uh, the center has been the uh, central address of activity. Uh, from day one, we were sort of the uh, drop-off and pick-up of supplies and volunteers in coordination with Jewish Family Service, uh, both in terms of uh, boxes and packing supplies and uh, clothing and food, and et cetera. And we continue uh, to be that. Uh, we've had a series of uh, educational meetings and forums to provide opportunities for residents of the community who have been impacted by the flood to be um, receive uh, updated information. Like tonight, we expect uh, f- four or 500 people wow. who will be here to meet and listen to city officials, FEMA officials, uh, representatives from SBA, insurance companies, banks, etc. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're having a big uh, fair where um, comp- cor- companies and uh, contractors, uh, engineers, people who have had direct hands-on experience with renovating homes that have been damaged by flood to come in and provide people with one-on-one consultations. So that's sort of uh, our role in the sort of the JCC in the last six weeks with the flood. We're also providing space for the the other Jewish organizations who who typically come here, uh, but will continue to come here because of of need. Right, no question about it. And a typical day if we weren't focused on flood activity and if we weren't talking about FEMA and if we weren't... So we uh, actually were somewhat uh, concerned when I spoke with your producer about being here in our lobby because... As you can see, the lobby is sort of the epicenter of the center activities. Very vibrant. So we open up 5 o'clock. Our fitness facility opens up at 5 o'clock. It's summertime. So uh, today we had probably close to 700 kids in day camp programs ages uh, 2 to 14. We start uh, camp at 7 o'clock in the morning and go through 6 o'clock at night. Uh, if we, were, we have a large outdoor swimming pool, we have a large fitness facility. Um, tomorrow night, the, uh, the Tsofim, the Israeli scout caravan, is here performing. Uh, they're traveling the, the states and are doing a show, and they're doing some programming. Tomorrow is Israel Day at JCC Day Camp. <laughs> um, so lots of stuff uh, going on here at the J. You're, you are at the J. That's how we refer to it. We're at the J, everybody. At the J. Uh, that's how they uh, refer to the JCC down here in Houston. Um, uh, Joel Dinkin is with us, Executive Vice President of the JCC. Uh, what you just described is sort of the impression that we were getting all day long, and that is that in many ways the community, because not the, enti- the entire community was not devastated, and not every section of the community or of the, each neighborhood uh, was devastated by this storm. Um, so in many ways life continues as usual, as normal, you know, like you just described all the different activities. Uh, by the same token, at the very same time, there are hundreds of families within the Jewish community and thousands, I would think, in the greater Houston community that are going through this time warp where they're still sitting, you know, six weeks ago, and God knows how long that period of time is going to last for them. So it's sort of like a, a delicate balance going on in the community, right? It is, and I think um, 
we are we're, we continue to be concerned about that uh, because life uh, is going on and um, it was actually uh, while well, it's probably we think it's somewhere between 450 and 500 families that have been a- impacted by the flood. Mm, right. That's just a small component of, of the Jewish community. Um, so that is a, a concern, and um, but life does go on. And so we also have the community has been trying to provide ongoing support to those families to help them so that life does go on. Right. Uh, so, for example, it is summertime. It's camp. And so kids that may not have been enrolled in camp are now here enrolled at the JCC for free so that the families can find ways to put their life uh, back in order. And it's been, you know, we've watched the sort of the progression where it was basically a cleanup and then finding alternate housing. And now where we where people are now starting to make the kind of decisions they need to make on a day in day out kind of basis about what to do and how to renovate their home and and how to move forward, which is sort of what the program is about tonight, right. which is to help them in that uh, along that uh, that next journey. Was well, there any particular damage to the JCC? So we actually uh, we were very fortunate. Um, we had some damage in our uh, racquetball court area. Uh, we also have a separate facility that's a, our, one of our summer camp facilities, which is about a mile from here, that uh, we had just finished renovating. Hmm. Uh, we were going through the punch list and about to reopen uh, the, uh, the Friday of the flood. and had about a foot of water in there. And uh, we turned around very quickly, and we've been holding camp in there, and in it's in kind of a makeshift kind of way. But we've been, as far as institutional damage, we were probably the uh, most fortunate between what between our damage and the damage of the synagogue. And what area of Houston do you live in? I live in Bel Air. Which so is considered hard hit or not? Uh, hard hit. Bel Air was not hit at all. Not hit at all. It had no flooding. The flooding in this area was pretty much contained to uh, the Myerland community um, and the, the uh, Willow Meadows community, which is where UOS, United Orthodox Synagogue, right. is located. And those two are the... The two big targets, the two so to big speak, targets. Yeah. for the storm that has no name. Uh, a Memorial Day flood. <laughs> now, now it's the Memorial Day flood. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, or the, or the post-Shavuot flood. <laughs> right. <laughs> We've been saying, Shavuot ends, all of a sudden the water began. Yeah. In fact, the next morning we had on the air a gentleman, um, uh, Yoni Pollock, who survived the night with his family in one of those situations where he was lying on his kitchen counter most of the evening. And, uh, you know, most of the night, I should say. And um, and that is that's exactly how the Yuntiv ended. It ended with the the rain starting, people discovering it was coming into their home, and then and, the next and, morning. And it was it was not expected. Right. I mean, you know, typically when we've had uh, flooding issues here, it's been a result of hurricanes, which have been weather predicted. This was a rainstorm that started uh, Monday evening, and just pounded and pounded and pounded for hours. And it was in the middle of the night where you hear stories about people who found in the middle of the night they woke up. And, you know, heard or felt the water or started receiving phone calls from neighbors and friends right. about what was going on. So this was not something that was expected, uh, which probably made it also that much more difficult. And it was interesting. It was a couple of days until we really had a sense of the impact. Um, and as you saw people, you'd say, hi, how are you? And are you okay? Is your house okay? Um, now it's, hi, how are you? Uh, what are your plans? Um, and that's one of the great mysteries that really continues to, uh, I don't want to say scare everybody, but it, it, it's a big question mark over the community, what people's plans will be. It whether is. Whether they're going to move on, whether they're going to stick it around is. or not. It is. And it's a, um, from where I sit, uh, my concern has to do with the long-term impact on the community. And this, right. is about, this is about the next generation of the community in this neighborhood. And this is a neighborhood that was evolved in the late, mid to late 50s, early 60s, uh, the JCC was built here in 67, 
Um, you can see all the infrastructure between the synagogues and temples and Jewish day schools in the area. So this has significant impact for the Jewish community long term in terms of the next generation uh, being here. Yeah, you mentioned a very important point that, again, uh, in our audience, or at least our core audience, doesn't always appreciate this, especially uh, uh, when it comes to you know diverse Jewish communities. But th- th- when we say that the JCC is a real umbrella, for activity, for Jewish activity in this community, you mean that because it, it is so, it goes so far in so many different directions. That's right. We have a reach that, uh, as a, as a, as a community center, we have a reach into the entire community. Right. And we have the ability to serve programs and facilities, uh, to everybody. And that is unique. It is unique. <laughs> but it's, but it's actually, um, I think you'll find that in many of the large metropolitan communities, um, outside of New York, right, um, and that's what the role of the JCC at uh, JCC is. Right, but it seems for some reason that this one is particularly good at it. Thank you. At least that's what the, what they say by <laughs> reputation. Thank you very much. Um, all right, so the future here, you're you're over the small damage you had in this building. Thank God, uh, your programs f- continue. The programs summer looks great. Summer looks great. Future here is great. And everything we're looks we're good. Excited, we're excited about it. Joel, I greatly appreciate it. You're Thank a wonderful you host. Thank, appreciate it, and enjoy the night. Thank you so much. Okay. Joel Dinkin is Executive Vice President of the JCC here in Houston, Texas. As we continue here at JM and the AM, a big thank you to Jamie Turkell. If you are watching on our uh, on our video if you are uh, looking in on any of the photos that we're posting on social media you'll see that we've brought along a brand new Nahum Siegel network tablecloth that graces the broadcast area and that's all Jamie's doing and I thank you very very much and again thank you to Stan who's in our studio on this Wednesday morning at JM in the AM we continue here from Houston as we continue to explore what's been happening in this community the um the um, devastation from the unnamed till now Memorial Day storm has been pretty extensive and uh, and uh, and something that has affected so many people in the hundreds in the immediate Jewish community and certainly in the thousands in the greater Houston community. Alan Cohen is a city councilwoman here in Houston and has taken the time to join us during this important broadcast. She heard that we're here from the New York, New Jersey area, traveling all the way down to Texas to show solidarity and explain to everybody what the community down here is going through. Councilwoman Cohen, thank you very much for joining us here at JM and the My pleasure, indeed. It is nice to have you here. How many years have you been serving on the Houston City Council? Well, I'm finishing. We we have two-year terms, so Ah. I'm finishing the end of my second term. I'm running again in November. Very good. uh, But before that, I served two terms in the Texas legislature. Well, good luck. Luck with your next campaign. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, how long have you been living in Houston? My late husband and I moved here from Montreal in uh, 1977. Boy, that must be an interesting difference, <laughs> Montreal and Houston, Texas. It was, believe me. It people, really was. People have never stopped making fun of that, huh? <laughs> and this uh, is there a way to, you know... But we, wait a minute. By I'm a, sorry. But via Cleveland. I grew up in Cleveland. Ah, Texas. all right. So. Is there a way to describe to this audience and to all of us what Houston collectively went through. We've been concentrating a lot on the Jewish community. We saw Jewish neighborhoods today and the, and, and the damage and devastation. Tell us about the entire city collectively and what happened with this storm. Well, what's really interesting is that the, we had close to 11 inches of rain in three, in three hours. And where we're sitting now was the epicenter. And the fact of the matter is District C, which is the one I represent, um, has a very large Jewish community. And the fact is that the, I would say the largest percentage of people that were affected 
were affected right here in this area. So I can tell you about the larger city. Larger city had a big rainstorm. Right. Larger city. And most people did not suffer a lot of damage. And they got slowed up, and there was a little bit of flooding here, and there were underpasses that were flooded. A couple of bad days. Yeah. 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 I mean, one bad. Really, just bad. But where we are now got totally... I mean, completely and totally wiped. Uh, how does the uh, government of the city of Houston uh, deal with this? I mean, this is something that obviously, to some degree, they could prepare for, because in this area you are sometimes expecting storms, but this really did come out of the blue. It, it, that's it. I mean, we are prepared for we, we, you know, We've had hurricanes. This area has been hit with right. hurricanes. Um, so you can prepare for it. But, and you can prepare for wind, and you can prepare for some flooding. But, again, you can't prepare for, th- for 11 inches in, th- in three hours. Right. So it, the city, you know, has a system in place. Um, it, it got to work right away in terms of um, the solid waste department picking up, you know, every day just about what was, you know, people were trying to take out of their houses. Um, we have a, a floodplain program in terms of what we're trying to do to man- you saw our bayous. Oh yes. Um, people call them whatever they call. I forget what people up north call them, but you know, like Canals. our streams <laughs> or whatever. Um, and, and we're widening right where we are now is part of a program that's to widen the bayous. And even with that, and I asked a number of people from the city if we had the entire bayou program in place, which it may be in 2021. Um, would that have had an effect on it? And they said, well, we had at least 3,000 people flooded. We probably would have had 1,500. So we still would have been hit. Right. As much as you do, as much as you uh, go ahead and build higher, yeah. as much as you extend or rebuild the bayous, non- nonetheless, you can't always beat the water. Right. <laughs> and what's going to happen now is if, if people, what we're telling everybody here is, first of all, in, in, individually they have to register with the flood pain management. Right. Um, and if they're in the floodplain and if there's more than 50% damage to their home, uh, they're, they're going to have to, if they rebuild, they're going to rebuild. They From have scratch. to rebuild higher. Yeah. They just have to. Yeah, and people have to. have to. Uh, and it's not the city, by the way. It's the, the FEMA, federal government. FEMA, FEMA right. Exactly. People have to be exactly. prepared for that and they have to be prepared to make important decisions yeah. once yeah. they're given that information. I was asked to, if it benefited the audience, to explain the bayou. So essentially, it's a, it's, it's a method to gather water and make sure it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't flood anymore. It doesn't flood. <laughs> um, and whether you call it a canal or a... Yeah, you can call it anything you want. Right. It's, a, it's a stream, uh, a canal that um, is a tributary that flows through our city. Right. Uh, it's a series of bayous. And it's essentially the only... But it's no, there's no traffic on it. Right. You know, it... it, it it's literally there to move yeah. the water yeah, exactly. or collect the water. Yeah. Uh, speaking with Houston City Councilwoman Ellen Cohen, who is here. Um, so tonight's a very important night because people are going to be getting all this information. We are here because we felt the need to show Houston and the Jewish community specifically that there are people outside of Houston, Texas that are concerned, that are looking toward what's going on or hoping for recovery, etc. Do you get that feeling? Does the leadership of Houston get the feeling from other cities in the United States? Are Washington and other cities, city leaderships, are they expressing sympathy and wondering six weeks later how you guys are doing? You'd have, you'd really have to ask the mayor that. I mean, I don't know what kind of, you know, help and response she's getting from others. Um, but yes, there's a sense of, from the, from the larger community, from the country as well. Um, we know what you're going through. We've gone through it, particularly, uh, central, central states. And right. You know, they've all gone through horrible things. The other part of that is, if you know any of the politics of, 
um, of Texas and our relationship with the federal government, um, we it's probably not a kumbaya relationship exactly. And so that's one um, way to describe it. <laughs> and so we have to uh, we have to work closely with our with our federally elected officials and urge them to um, to support us and to get and to get the money to us that we need to do the kind of rebuilding that we're that right. we're doing. Uh, long-term effects on Houston, and I'm not just talking about the Jewish community, I'm talking about in general, because the majority of the city survived without much damage, uh, it, will the long-lasting effects be mild, so to speak, in, in the big picture? I think the long-lasting effects in general will be mild, but if it's your home of course. and everything you've done to, you know, to raise your kids there and your grandchildren there right. and all, and one night it's completely wiped away, yeah. then I don't know how to answer that. Like we saw today, we saw, I mean, I'm sure you visited, I'm sure you visited plenty of homes over the last few weeks. And, I uh, have, I've driven the neighborhoods, yeah. um, you know, I, we've answered a lot of questions. Um, it's, it's just a very traumatic situation and the fact that it really touched our community so much. And, and I guess maybe that's one of the things I do want to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, for example, there's a group of Mormons that um, literally, at the moment they heard what happened, came out and started to help the, the community, many of whom are members of the Jewish community. Um, they helped the synagogues. They did, you know, they they really stepped forward, as did a lot of our Christian friends. Yeah. Um, One of the things you mentioned that toward the beginning of this show um, just a little while ago is the number of stories we keep hearing of outreach in the Jewish community to others and outreach from religious communities that are not of the Jewish faith to the Jewish community. The stories are unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, I have a feeling this show is going to be filled with a lot of them as we get personal accounts from people that have helped no, by individuals, by no, individuals, no by question. families. There's there. no question about it. Um, I, I'm just I'm amazed at what we, what all of us can do for one another. You right. know, it takes brings out the best in people. It huh? does. It it really does. It mm. really does. I agree with you. We always uh, lament that it has to be during a tragedy, but from what I hear, in these parts, it's not always in a tragedy. No, Houston's are very Houstonians are very um, giving. Very philanthropic. Um, we have the largest number of ethnic minorities in uh, in the country here in Houston, um, and so you know, we do a good job of getting along. I greatly appreciate you joining us here. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much, and Thank best you. regards from everybody in the Northeast. Thank you. We are thinking of what's going on down here. Shalom. Shalom to you, uh, City Councilwoman uh, Ellen Cohen here in Houston, Texas. Uh, tonight we are pre-recording our Wednesday morning show on Tuesday evening. Tonight. FEMA, government agencies, are here in the JCC, and they are uh, uh, literally trying to give as much information as possible and help as many people as possible in the aftermath of the storm. Many, many families, within the hundreds of families in our community were affected. We actually saw, we can give you eyewitness accounts of what we saw earlier today. Uh, it is unbelievable devastation on each individual level. And um, uh, everybody out there is uh, is reminded about the... Uh, about how lucky we are to have stable homes, stable houses, etc. Uh, when you see what's going on here, um, Alani Schooler is with us. Alani Schooler is an attorney here in Houston, Texas. He is, I am told, a an expert on the history of the Jewish South. A pleasure to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Actually, I would say more the Jewish history in Houston. Jewish history in Houston. Good enough. I'm going to give you the whole southern region. What do you think of that? Huh? Okay. <laughs> 
Uh, you just pointed to yourself when I mentioned about devastation in homes. What kind of damage did you we, suffer from? We had some infiltration of water, uh, and it was aggravating because we had to replace carpet, but we were the luckiest on our block, which was about four blocks north of the bayou. Everybody else south of us heading toward the bayou uh, was underwater, three or four feet of water. Several people have already sold their homes and aren't returning, so I've witnessed firsthand the devastation that has occurred. And the effect that it's going to have on the community because, again, as you right. said, people will move away and, and not come back. Right. Um, <clears throat> how would you put it? Are we sitting in, a, in a, a Jewish historical city? Are we sitting in a place right now, Houston, Texas, that has a rich Jewish history? How would you put it? Uh, I would express that, yes. Uh, for a city this size, we've never had as large a Jewish community as you find in Las Vegas or Phoenix or Denver for some reason, but... The Jews have been here since 1836. first recorded Jewish settler was in 1836, which was coinciding with the establishment of the city right. and Texas independence from Mexico. Right. So we've been here a long time. So I'd have to assume that there were no other cities in Texas that had any Jewish presence at that time. Would that uh, be actually, no. Um, if you look at a map, the most logical entry point at the time in the 19th century was Galveston, right, which had point, the predominant right. population. Right. And it had a great flood in 1900, which moved it from first in the state in population to 12th in one decade. Right, but when were the first Jews in Galveston? Uh, the Jews came through Galveston. Actually, the Jews came from Spain right. and migrated up through the, what we call the Rio Grande Valley to Galveston. Oh, so we're talking about the 1600s. Yeah, uh, 1500s, 1500s, actually. Yeah. And getting there was easy if you were on a boat. Right. And so the coastal areas, Corpus Christi, Brownsville, and Galveston, were the first places where we really had any population. But this is pre-colonial right. Mexico. Spanish colonial. And then the 1800s, as you mentioned, right. Texas becomes a state in the United States. Right. Houston incorporates as a city and immediately has a Jewish population. Right. Uh, what's it been like? It seems like, uh, I mean, the way it was described to me, the last 50, 60 years have been the real growth of the Jewish community here. Would that be accurate? Uh, it's been a big migration from other parts of the country. I'm not unusual for what we call the Sun Belt. Right. The states, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California, because of the climate, I think, and also the economic vitality of Texas. It's attracted a lot of people from the Northeast and the Midwest, Jewish people included, to come to Houston. Right. And, so. uh, and, and, and from the Sun Belt, which cities, which cities gave you some of the, uh, <laughs> of the future Houstonians? Atlanta, New Orleans? Uh, or? No, not as much. Uh, New Orleans did after Hurricane Katrina, right. actually, ironically. Uh, but really, the, the Sun Belt cities were the ones that benefited from the migration. Right. And what, what was that like 10 years ago when <clears throat> members of communities like New Orleans, you know, Jewish, came here? And I assume many of, many of the people had very little, you know, because of... Uh, had nothing. Had nothing, practically. Uh, and my law firm was involved in a project, uh, one among many. We were, our office is situated across the street from what's called the Brown Convention Center, ironically the site of two former synagogues. And uh, 15,000 people were housed there. Another 25,000 people were housed at the Astrodome, which then was vacant, still right. is. And we were in a project to take down the names of all the people they had recorded as coming in. That's 40,000 people. Yeah, putting them on a database because families had been separated and parents and grandparents didn't know where their children and grandchildren were. And by this establishment of the database, they were able to locate each other and reunite. In the case of the Jews from New Orleans who came here, uh, we had two special fundraising events that I remember 
where the Jewish Federation of Houston sponsored programs to benefit these people. Many of them were taken in by local uh, Jews to live at their houses until the city was reopened and their houses could be renovated. And although I certainly don't want to belittle what people have just gone through here, frankly, I don't think it was anything to compare with Katrina, which had the double whammy of the flooding and the high wind. How did people in New Orleans know that Houston would be such an accepting community? I'm not sure. Uh, it, it ended up being Houston and Atlanta. Right. Uh, I think Houston is only 350 miles. It's the closest big city. Uh, right on Interstate 10, it just made sense to come here. Uh, we aren't out of a, a flood zone in terms of the hurricanes right. or the storms. You'd but, think that might want to keep them away. But well, actually, they... in fact, uh, we had a, hur- a threatened hurricane here a month after Katrina, and it fizzled out. But it destroyed Beaumont and Port Arthur, which is 100 miles to the east. And Katrina itself had an effect on southeastern Texas. Am I right or wrong about that? Corpus Christi got hit by uh, Katrina? or No, No, uh, the dirty side of the storm came in Louisiana. The winds came through eastern Texas. But then the storm that came the following month, Hurricane Rita, was really devastating to the area around the Texas-Louisiana border. That was the one. Rita, Lonnie <coughs> Schooler is here talking about the Jewish South, talking about Houston, Texas. When did the Orthodox community start to make a real presence in Houston? It was the original community in Houston. It was an Orthodox yes. community. Uh, the reform movement as such started in Germany in right. the 1810s, 1820s, really had not made its way to America at that point uh, until there was a big German migration in the late 1840s. In Texas, reform movement was unknown. And our first great synagogue still standing today is called Beth Israel, Temple Beth Israel, was established in 1854. Uh, And there's a famous photograph of the synagogue at High Holidays, 1871, with a mechitza down the middle, meaning a dividing line, where well-dressed, modern-dressed Jews are on one side and Jews in black with beards and uh, black caps are on the other side. And the synagogue realized they had a divide that they couldn't overcome, and the decision was made to become a reform synagogue. So it was really the first great reform synagogue in Texas, followed quickly by the synagogue in Galveston, B'nai Israel. Right. And are there any legendary rabbinic names in American Jewish history that come from Houston? Henry Cohen. The rabbi in Galveston from 1888 to 1952. It's the longest-serving rabbi in Texas Jewish history. Uh, he was responsible as the the existing role model and leader of the Jewish community in the southeast part of Texas to coordinate with the Jews of New York in what became called the uh, West of Hester Street mm. project to allow Jews to migrate from Europe and land somewhere other than New York. The New York Jews were very concerned in the early 20th century about overpopulation of immigrants. Stop me if you've heard this before, (laughs) except with different groups. And uh, in particular, the backlash against Jews. And so they came up with the idea of having boats come directly from Germany to Galveston, which had a port and a direct steamship line. And um, the Jews of New York undertook uh, uh, fundraising to make this possible, and Rabbi Cohen agreed to sponsor all the arrivals because at that time the immigration authorities required that somebody had to speak up for people coming off a boat. And that, he said, I'm the guy. That was his function. And he made, uh, he made it possible for all these people to survive. That movement, the so-called Galveston Plan, lasted about six years, saved about 10,000 people, and was only stopped because of World War One. 
uh, started and the shipping lanes in the Atlantic were blocked because we're, of military reasons. We're here in Houston, Texas, as we talk about the uh, after effects six weeks now since the Memorial Day Shavuos storm. Um, one of the iconic pictures of this of this most recent storm involved a rabbi, an Orthodox rabbi being Rabbi Rudinsky, right, Rabbi Rudinsky being taken by boat, I assume from his home, right, right. to be saved. And uh, that that picture was, uh, in many ways, symbolic for a lot of people of what was going on with the Jewish community down right. here during that yeah. storm. It uh, it just showed how badly the damage was in many areas, as you just heard from Councilwoman Cohen. Right. Uh, a lot of this part of the town was underwater four and five feet of water and i'd have to assume that his house was one of them yes yeah I would and guess. he he is about a mile and a half east of where we are at a synagogue an orthodox synagogue of which he was the, the rabbi uh that was devastated itself with two to three feet of water yeah which so. we saw today and uh, boy oh boy it's hard to believe what they went through and what they are now going to have to face in terms of the future right. do you worry about the future of the jewish community of houston after all this or with the historical perspective uh, you're not that concerned well we survived the galveston hurricane of mm-hmm. 1900 i interviewed somebody once who was uh three years old at the time of the hurricane later the mayor of galveston <laughs> and he described being on the third floor of a four-story house you remembered it and the water came up to the top of the second floor and galveston survived although it never was as prominent in texas again right Houston, I think, uh, is more spread out, a lot more diverse. Uh, in that sense, I don't think a weather incident will destroy the Jewish community. However, it's had a significant impact on the Meyerland area, which has been the scene of a lot of uh, Jewish residents since the 1950s. Right. I thank you very much for joining us here today. Sure. It's my pleasure. Thank you for doing the program. My uh, pleasure. Lonnie Schooler talking about uh, Jewish Houston and talking about the aftermath of the of the storm uh, back on Memorial Day six weeks ago, and uh, I thank you very much. My neighbor and another victim of the flood, unfortunately. Linda Berger is here. That's who Lonnie's referring to. Linda is CEO of the Jewish Family Service, the Jewish Family Services, and um, uh, it's a pleasure to welcome you here. Thank you very much for being here and for uh, joining us here today. Well, thank you. I, it's such an honor to have you here, and people from everywhere know who you are, so <laughs> it's you. pretty neat to have you in Houston. I appreciate that. This was I'll, I'll tell you, there are people in our audience who are very concerned that there be an outpouring of love, that people should at least... Yeah, you'll tell us how people can you know can support the cause down here, but not just financially. There should there should be a realization uh, by the community down here that there are people around the country who care. So I'm glad we're able to represent that here today. And um, tell us about the damage that you yourself suffered that Lonnie yeah, just uh, yeah. alluded to. So um, we live across the street from him and had about um, just nine or ten inches of water in our home, but. It took over 2,500 square feet of the downstairs, and we were fortunate to have an upstairs to go to. Um, we lost um, pretty much everything um, that we weren't able to take upstairs, and this flood just took us by surprise. We're used to these things happening, but there was just no indication it was going to You thought it would happen. be rain, and you'd wake up the next morning, yeah, and it would be I, the aftermath of the I rain. I actually storm. had gone to bed, but the... Uh, the phone rang, the phone called at 11:30 to tell me that the alarm at Jewish Family Service had gone off, and because it was the rain, I said, "Oh, it's just the rain. Ignore it." I wasn't sending anybody out in that right. rain. And then I saw my husband and my uh, daughter right. were up watching the water, and they said, "It's just about six feet from our door." 
I said, well, you're watching it. I'm going to go back to bed. And then as soon as I got in bed, I thought, that's a really dumb decision. <laughs> so we went and started moving everything that we could. And it's just shocking. Um, it's really shocking. There was a for sale sign down the street from us. And all you could see was the word sale uh, on top of it. So um, it didn't it, it didn't leave. It didn't recede till after 10 in the morning. And I think that's one of the things that made it so unusual. Um, already two of my neighbors have des- decided to move into assisted living. Mm. And, um, you know, we're very worried about the neighborhood. Are you here your whole life in Houston? No, I'm from El Paso. El Paso, Texas. Mm-hmm. And how long are you living here? 36 years. And how long have you been with Jewish Family Service? I've been there 10 years, so this is uh, one of many storms that we've weathered. Yeah, you've seen this before, huh? We've seen it before, but it hasn't happened to us. Right. Uh, even when it was Hurricane Ike or when it was Katrina. Uh, Katrina didn't come to Houston, but 5,000 members of the Jewish community of New Orleans came. Right. So we were able to be um, you know, the helpers. It's a lot easier to be a helper than to ask for help. Jewish Family Services had a big role in uh, accepting and absorbing those thousands of people from New Orleans? Yes, the Jewish community. Um, we really help people get into homes of... Jewish community members here or into apartments, and we continued to support them for quite a long time while they were still in Houston. A, a history-altering storm that was Absolutely. 10 years ago, Absolutely. when you think about it, in terms of the Jewish communities of the South. Um, what practical ways is Jewish Family Services helping now? I can only imagine how many different directions you're being pulled in to help people. What are some of the things you're doing? So we're doing tremendous case management right now, just trying to find out what the immediate needs are and then, um, you know, responding to that. So we're doing a little financial aid, trying not to give out too much right now because we don't know what, how much we'll have to give. Mm -hmm. And that scares me, but I just kind of operate under the assumption that the money will come as long as we do the work right. And so um, we have right now 475 active cases um, since the storm. That was the estimate, of 500. Um, we had 775 people fill out forms, and most of them we were able to help with just a little help right away. So the 475 I think are here for the long run. Yeah, and many so, of them are going to be here tonight to meet with the federal government. Yes, so a lot of it's, I don't think it's misinformation, but people um, repeat it and then it doesn't sound the same and it's kind of like one of those uh, games of telephone or gossip. And Plus people are still in shock. Yeah. And it's very difficult for them to deal with the whole thing. It's limbo it's, right now, yeah. a limbo for everyone, because they can't move forward till they know what their own insurance will do if they have insurance. And then, and by the way, with the elderly, they're least likely to have insurance because um, if you own your home, you don't have to have flood insurance. Right. So many people let that go. And um, so we're seeing tremendous increase in in the elderly. The other thing that really worries me a lot is um, the trauma that people went through during the storm. And so we hear a lot of stories, um, you know, a baby crib floating, a mom having to swim down the street from her home to safety with the baby on the back. We met people like that today, right? Um, Yeah. um, Elderly that woke up 
with their bed wet or some because of the storm and not knowing what to do. So the a little girl who has nightmares every night because she dreams of the water coming up to her chin and her mom who won't leave the house since the storm because she's afraid that it'll happen again and she won't be there. And so those are the kinds of things JFS excels at and you know we understand trauma and we work really hard to ask people to come forward and talk about it now and not wait. All right, you mentioned JFS can use uh, can use money, can use uh, help and donations. What's the easiest way for people in this audience or anywhere in this country and world to help out? How should they do it? Well, we've been collaborating very closely with the Jewish Federation here in Houston. And so um, on their website, HoustonJewish.org, the very first thing you see is uh, flood relief, uh, donate to flood relief. And that's the best way to do it. They're taking in on the money and then they're letting us spend it where it's necessary. All right, so HoustonJewish.org. Correct. HoustonJewish.org. Those of you who have been wondering how you could help out, and again, uh, you have to understand that there's been a, I mentioned this earlier, how, for instance, I visited one of the synagogues today, and I was under the impression that, you know, six weeks later, things must be cleaned up. Yeah. Getting back to normal, and obviously it's no. just the opposite. I assume you went to United Orthodox yes, Synagogue, sir. and actually, even I, who had been, you know, into many homes, just my heart sunk when I walked in there and saw the devastation, really. And I think what you'll see here, and is you drive up and down the streets, and there's these beautiful manicured lawns, and then, you know, there's just a shell of a home behind behind those doors, and it's going to take a long time. I think it's a two-year recovery period to whatever the new normal is. Yeah, I think so. uh, victims of Sandy up in New York, I think that one year was a certain benchmark for them, and two years, which passed this October, I think that was a second important benchmark, and you're right, it's going to take a while, and hopefully people will be able to do it and uh, do it with as little aggravation as possible. Um, uh, Linda Berger, thank you. You're very welcome. Thank Chief you Chief Executive being here. Officer, a pleasure at the Jewish Family Service here in Houston. If you want to contribute, if you want to be part of those from around the country who've already um, played a role in helping financially down here, believe you me, the money is going to be used for a noble cause because there are so many people in need. HoustonJewish.org has the flood donation uh, information, HoustonJewish.org, under the leadership of the Federation down here. Uh, Julie Sachs is here. Julie is somebody who we met earlier today. We were actually in her home. She was nice enough to open up her home and uh, give us a tour of the uh, of the uh, of her home and tell us the story of what happened on that Monday night. Julie Sachs, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you. I hope it's not too difficult for you to do this again. Uh, I'm never sure how to... What what to assume when somebody's in your situation, whether it's better to talk about it, not better, whatever the case is, I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Uh, we go back to that Monday night six weeks ago, and uh, essentially uh, you thought it was a regular rainstorm or what we would consider to be a regular rainstorm, right? Mm-hmm. And what yeah. happened? Uh, it was not a regular rainstorm. <laughs> <laughs> Went to bed, and um, about 12 or 12.30 in the morning we woke up to thunder and realized it was awfully close to the house already and it had just risen so fast and gotten clogged up in our street somehow and um, uh, we tried to move things up off the ground and uh, just couldn't do anything fast enough. When you woke up there was already water in the house? No, when I woke up uh, we had about, turned out we had about 30, 40 minutes till water came in. 
when it started coming in, so you're thinking, oh, you know. You're thinking maybe <laughs> a couple inches. Right, maybe. how much could possibly, and you've right. been through one of those before, right? Correct. You've been through one of those one or two inch uh, yes. floods or whatever we call it. Yes. Uh, but in this case, it was a lot more than that. Yes. This uh, one, we just, you keep moving things higher and higher up thinking they're going to be safe and you, you just never imagine that it's going to keep getting higher. Right. And you were actually lucky because your kids have a bunk bed in their room, right? We had a bunk bed. We had a lot of neighbors that were camped out in their attic for right. eight or nine hours. And we were, uh, to be honest, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I was glad that we had the bunk bed at the time. And um, So people have to imagine that you and your family are basically sitting on the top of a bunk bed. There were... Not knowing how high this is going to go. Right. Get. Just waiting for it to stop coming in so we could get down. Right. But... Uh, yeah, we were on our. We would have gone up into the attic had we needed another place to go, and if we hadn't been in touch with our neighbor who invited us to come down to their house. So, so you're in the middle, of, and it's funny because later when I toured a different home, um, they, they sort of thought it was a silly concept that, that one could even leave the home during that storm. But at some point, you, at the encouragement of your neighbors, decided we're going to go for it. And, and at that point, the water's pretty high. It was. Uh, I mean, you just—it was maybe it. not the smartest decision. Oh, okay. So. In hindsight, I mean, but at the moment, it, it was: do we stay in our house and watch the water keep rising and have our kids, and to be honest, ourselves be right. petrified, or do we just get out? It wasn't raining. It wasn't lightning. We're in an area where there were walls, where the water really was—it really was a retention pond, basically, our neighborhood because of the surrounding gates and fences. Um, so there wasn't a current that could have washed us outside of our neighborhood technically um so we took the chance and we waited till it stopped lightning and and we just got out as fast as we could they had a windowsill that the water had not the when we got out the windowsill the water was right there at the windowsill right it didn't i don't think it actually came in but we didn't know that well you described the water being up to your neck at that point when i got outside when i stood outside the windowsill it was up to my neck that's a pretty scary feeling i panicked i've never well, who wouldn't uh, yeah. in that situation? How far was your neighbor's home? And, of course, with a lot of water in between, take it, take that into consideration. Was it across the street or where was it? Uh, it was about six houses down on my side. Uh, about six houses down, but then I had to cross the street as well. Right. And, so, I'm, and I'm sure to people listening and wondering, so where where do you sleep the next night? Like, where do you go? <laughs> what what do you do when your home has suffered the type of damage that you suffered? Uh, we are very fortunate that my parents live here and live within a mile of our house. And there was no question. They just say, come, you know, of course, they just, we slept wherever we could sleep. But that night of the storm, when we got to our neighbor's house, they had a second story. And there were actually two other families in the house with us at the time. Already. Who also had sought refuge at their house. And so their upstairs turned into a big, giant uh, camping ground for whoever needed to sleep. Because, of course, nobody had yeah, slept any. But all the kids were up there sleeping. And um, I don't think any of the grown-ups actually got any sleep. But. Right. For, okay. for those who think that kids treat this type of thing as a great adventure, what would you say? Uh, maybe in a couple of years they'll think that. That they were pretty, <laughs> there, it, the, it, it hit them very there hard. There were tears and there were moments of just um, just really fear. I mean, we didn't. We were in my son's room and he was sitting there watching from his bunk bed, watching all of his belongings just float away and hearing the sounds of you could we were sitting on the bunk bed listening to pots and pans falling on the floor right. 
and you don't know what's falling, and you don't know what's going to be left and what's not going to be left. Julie, so. I'm sorry, Julie Sachs is with us, J.M. the A.M. Wednesday from Houston, Texas. Strange way to ask this question, but you would have preferred not to lose what? There must be two or three items among the hundreds and thousands of things that you did end up losing that you would that you would put at the top of the list that, you know, if I could have saved these two or three things, it, it would have been meaningful to you. What does that include? Um, my piano was one, although we think it it may be restored, but we're not sure yet. Um, but it's a piano I've had since I was 12 years old, so it's a big part of my life, and that's my profession, so it's sort of my first child. Right. <laughs> um, I'd say we got it. Uh, I wish my photo albums had been higher up. Not many of my photo albums were dry. My wedding album was safe, and my kids' baby books, my husband somehow managed to put them up on a high shelf with in the middle of it like while he walked through the house moving things around he thought to go get those so is it comforting to know that those are safe it's nice to know those are safe the uh, the, the i did have one small table that my great grandmother had brought from germany wow and it was the only piece of furniture i had of hers and uh, and there was just no way it could i i unscrewed the hardware from it and kept the door the piece of wood that had the the name of the furniture maker on it just to keep it but that made me pretty sad um and just all my kids you know we had a lot of books my kids loved to read and we we lost hundreds and hundreds of books of theirs and they're that's what they don't understand they're they're trying to figure out why we don't have those and stuff down it's just the daily stuff it was uh, Less stuff of huge value, but just a lot of things we use on a daily basis. You would agree with me that after six weeks, it's an unfair question to ask about your future because there's so much that's just, you know, you're juggling a lot at this point. And again, and one of the reasons I'm glad we're down here is because so many people think that, you know, the recovery has really begun and progress is occurring. And you could vouch for the fact that you're mired in this mentality and in this physical world that is, you know, still six weeks ago. And you don't know when that's going to end, hopefully soon. You know, you know, things will really start to accelerate and pick up. But to ask you about the future at this point, you just don't know at this point, right? We don't know. Um, the, the easy thing for us would be to say we're just going to sell our house as is and some investor will buy it and rebuild. Um, mm. But we don't really want to do that because we love the neighborhood and we love the neighbors. And... Um, I'd say, yeah, we're past the emotional part. I'd say if you'd talked to me even like two weeks ago, I would have probably broken down right now. But, <laughs> uh, but right now we just we haven't ruled anything out, and we and we don't have all the information because we don't have insurance uh, numbers yet, and we right. don't know what anything. We have basics of what it would cost to elevate the house, what it would cost uh, to rebuild um, on a very basic level, but we don't know what we have to work with yet. Right. And another thing that some of the New Yorkers can sympathize with because of what happened two and a half years ago, you lost cars also, not just your home, right? Yes. That's, uh, I mean, it may not it's another co- it may not compare, but it's certainly another difficult no, situation but it's, to deal it's, with. It compares when you have two working parents right. and kids that have activities to get to. What do you? We have to find something pretty right. soon. Yeah. Uh, I thank you so much for joining us and continued good luck. And you can vouch for the fact that as we ask people to support. Uh, the causes down here and the community down here, that it's certainly a worthwhile cause. Extremely. And we would appreciate any help. Thank you so much, Thank Julie. You. Thank you. And thanks for opening up your home earlier today. Uh, that is uh, Julie Sachs. She and her family are uh, are utilizing these uh, first six weeks to uh, deal with the aftermath of the storm. And hopefully, please God, in the next few days, 
and weeks, uh, they'll start to really recover and uh, get back on their feet. Uh, 7 o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday from Houston, Texas, and this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Broadcast, oh, normally we broadcast live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Thanks to Stan in our studio. ZK, our chief engineer on the spot. Mark, Mark Zomik, our producer here on the spot. Miriam Al Wallach, of course, is here as well. And uh, we continue to present a, um, a JM and the AM from Houston, Texas. A big thank you to those who felt it important enough to uh, send us down and um, expand and extend our radio presence all the way to Houston. Before we introduce our next guest, I remind everybody there is a website, HoustonJewish.org slash HoustonFlood, HoustonJewish.org slash HoustonFlood. Uh, give whatever you can. Give whatever you can to uh, help uh, the uh, Federation and Jewish Family Services, uh, every... Uh, aspect. Every um, segment of the Jewish community down here is uh, being assisted by them on a regular basis, and as we know, uh, the community down here has been devastated, and everybody's encouraged to give whatever possible. HoustonJewish.org slash Flood. I am assuming this is Rabbi uh, Gidon Moskowitz. Am I right? Rabbi Moskowitz uh, is the rabbi of the Meyerland Minion, as it's known. Meyerland is the neighborhood, right? It's the section that yeah. we're in here in Houston, Texas. Correct. And um, and Rabbi Moskowitz, I say welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you very much. Someone told me you actually listened to the show many years ago. Many years ago. On my uh, ride into high school on the van. So I used to go to a high school in Staten Island, and uh, that's what we listened to each and every morning. Unbelievable. Thank you very much. How many years are you in Houston? We've been here for about 10 years. A same synagogue for 10 years? Same synagogue for 10 years. So this is, have you been through this type of thing before or not? We haven't, thank God, we have not. With all the storms and the hurricanes, it, it never got you till now. There's been flooding uh, right. on streets, but not right. in homes. This is the first time that you had that first type of actually entered into. Did your home get hit? No, thank God not. You're a lucky man. That's, that's for sure. But your synagogue did. Yes. And I was told that today or this week was the first time that the synagogue... Looked somewhat back to normal. Is that? Uh, uh, it's been a process. It's been going on for the last, uh, really, since since the flood. Uh, but uh, more recently, we finally finished the painting. So the shul is is basically 99% of the way there. Was the synagogue ever inactive because of the storm? Uh, just the first few days, uh, when it was just complete mayhem. But even the first Shabbos already, we we met. We didn't meet in the shul. We met in a in a room next to the side of the shul. Right. It's called the loft. It's a, a room that we use for classes and special events. So we we met there because there was a little bit less damage there. Your annex. Our annex. And Shavuos uh, ends. Yeah. Right. It's a three day yuntif. <laughs> Tough enough as it is, right? Yeah. Shavuos is, if I recall, Shabbos Sunday and Monday, right? Correct. Even in New York, where there was no storm, it was a rough yuntif. Right. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a three day yuntif. When you, you now you leave shul Monday night, I'm assuming sometime between nine and nine thirty. Would that be right? Correct. Okay. You leave. Is it raining yet? It's not, not raining. It's not even raining not at nine nine thirty. Beautiful weather. I'm completely exhausted. I can imagine. Yeah. Uh, I go home. I go to sleep, and then uh, my wife wakes me up in the middle of the night, and she says, "The bayou's overflowing." She's reading it on. So she's getting some sort of alarm or right. text. Uh, and then we start hearing, you know, people posting different things, emailing different things that water's coming into their homes, uh, and and that's when we knew something was going on. 
Uh, is there anything, now again, reminder, you said there was no damage to your home, thank God. Is there anything you can do that night for anybody or essentially you're trapped? Well, we, we didn't really realize the extent of the devastation until the morning. Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning. So, uh, you know, we thought it was isolated things here and there. Somebody's house was getting a little bit of water. Uh, I try and go to shul Tuesday morning. I couldn't get off my block. I tried to drive to the corner. Too much water. It's too much water at each corner. I right. had to park my car and start walking, but that I couldn't walk because right. at a certain point, it was just it was a lake. So you assume not too many people made it to shul that I, morning. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And what happens the rest of Tuesday? So uh, at, at that point, you know, we did hear about some families that were stranded. Uh, you know, there was, again, mayhem. So we're, we're trying to get boats, perhaps, to go in and, and get them out. Literally. Literally, there was one family that called us and told us that they're uh, on their beds in their bedroom, and oh. the water is up to the mattresses, and they're sitting there with their two little kids. So I'm calling around trying to get a boat. I finally did get a boat. By the time I got to them, you know, thank God the water had receded. Right. He was already walking around his house. Right. That was the middle of Tuesday. It started that to go down, That was already Tuesday right. late morning. Right. That's when the uh, and then I went to the shul right. to see what happened at the shul. By the time I got to the shul, also the water had receded to a great degree, uh, but there was uh, it was clear from the water line that there was at least a foot of water in the shul. And unfortunately, since we've never had this experience before, people, you know, weren't prepared for it. So there were tefillin on, in a mm. in a rack like at the bottom of a talis rack at the bottom, all destroyed, and um, sforum. Many, many farm Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Machzorim, all destroyed because we store them, you know, under the Aron. We store them at the bottom of, of cabinets. Like every shul does. Right. And the flooring was destroyed and the wall. So it was extensive damage. Um, and um, So what was the key over the last six weeks to get the shul back into shape? What was the key? Yeah. Did you have volunteers? Did you we have had, uh, a big fund that came through for you? Like, what happened that you were able to do this in what I would consider to be a relatively quick amount of time? It was, it was very quick. Uh, Baruch Hashem, first of all, we had wonderful volunteers from the whole community, people who came in from outside of the community. There were Yeshiva Bachram who came down from various yeshivas. From uh, outside of Houston? Outside of Houston, from Teaneck and from, from YU and from, and from Columbus, Ohio, NCSY kids. <laughs> uh, really, really very special. Call like a vote to them. And, uh, Baruch Hashem, between the volunteers locally and, and also outside the city who helped us both in the, the shul as well as the families who were affected as well, we were able to turn it around quickly. We also have some people in the shul who are involved in, in, uh, in construction, right. so they use their crews to help get the shul back up and running. That's very so helpful. Baruch Hashem, it has been very, very quick. Um, how many families do you have in the shul? We have about 65. And is it a growing shul? How would you describe it? Yeah, Baruch Hashem. It, it's, it's a Kirov shul. So people come, they grow, uh, and uh, the shul itself, uh, you know, grows as well. And, and uh, eventually many of them do move on. They move on to Eretz Yisrael. They move on to other larger cities or other communities where they can continue to grow or where their work brings them or their family brings them. Outside of being recruited, I guess, at some point, what attracted you to Houston, Texas? Um, I really, my wife and I, when we came down, we were we were really blown away by the community. It's it's an extremely warm community. It's extremely friendly. Uh, the Maryland Minion in particular is an extremely warm and friendly uh, shul, and uh, it's something I hear time and time again from people who come in. They say, you know, you don't know how special a shul you have here. So uh, we we did see it. We saw it right away when we came, and uh, it, it it was. Uh, it was love at first sight. You know, we, we love the community. We love Houston, and uh, it's been 10 years. Communities need cooperation, and sometimes that cooperation is at different levels. It seems that there is a 
legitimate, genuine desire to cooperate one with another. I'm, not, I'm sure there's things that always come up, but it seems from what we've been told down here that there's just a genuine desire. Everybody, whether it's orthodoxy, people across the entire spectrum, even communities that are outside the Jewish community, there seems to be a, a uh, desire to just reach out and be, you know, be a proper mensch to everybody. You mean between the, the yeah. various segments of the, of the Jewish community? Sure. Yeah, I would say so. I, I, um, I'm not sure if that's unique to Houston as much as it is perhaps to out of town, right. you know, where, where uh, it's a smaller community and, and everyone kind of... I they say there's an extra special friendliness down here. That's, yeah, that's what I keep sure. hearing. It is the South. It is the South. <laughs> and it is Houston. So, uh. Uh, well, very nice. I'll tell you. Thank God you've been able to uh, get back on your feet as a synagogue. Thank God. That is wonderful. And uh, I'm sure you are uh, – you I'm sure you have members of your congregation who are still – Facing this this terrible challenge of rebuilding, yeah, about, about eight or ten families, depending yeah. on how you count them, are are homeless, are literally homeless. So it's uh, either with neighbors or with family or um, out of town at this point. Some, yeah, some of them have rent have taken uh, you know short term rentals. Some right. of them are, are hopping around from friend to friend, um, and, and some of them their families have been split up, where the wife and the children have have gone to the family in in the northeast. While the husband stays behind to deal with uh, right. with the aftermath. What's the lesson, big picture of Amoskowitz? What's the big takeaway? What's the sermon? Uh, once you survive <laughs> six weeks of trying to get your shul back to normal, what's the big uh, what, what, what's the uh, what's the word that we should keep in mind? Those of us who are lucky enough to be in homes that are not flooded yeah. and go to shuls that were not devastated. Uh, the lesson I couldn't tell you. I'm certainly not a navi, um, <laughs> but but one of the lessons I shared with my tzibur, with my community, is uh, it's actually very apropos. Um, you know, we just finished Shivas of Tammuz. We just right. finished the 17th of Tammuz, the fast. And one of the things that the fast commemorates is the breaking of the first tablets, the breaking of the luchos. And uh, there's an interesting medrash. The medrash says that that Hakadosh Baruch Hu, that the Holy One, blessed be He, comes to Moshe, comes to Moses, and he says to him, you know, don't grieve over the breaking of the first tablets, because you're going to get a second tablets, and in the second tablets, it's going to be even better. It's going to have Midrashim. It's going to have Agadus. It's going to have Halachas that the first tablets didn't have. The first tablets just had the Aserah Sedebras. The, the they right. only had the Ten Commandments. The, um, obviously, the lesson there is, is, is very deep. Um, but on the simplest level, on the simplest level, we can take away from that perhaps the idea that, you know, when you, when you go through adversity and you go through challenge and you come out the other end, you come out stronger. And there's something you're going to gain from it. There's something you're going to grow from it. So I, I like to believe that this wasn't just, you know, a, a, uh, an annoyance or a tragedy to a, an extreme, but, but rather it was, it was something that we, uh, we, can, we can grow from and that we will grow from. I, I really, truly believe this shul will come out stronger. Yeah, the community in general as well. Perseverance. Yeah. There's definitely a Jewish angle to perseverance, isn't there? Absolutely. <laughs> and I'll tell you something else. I'll tell you the other angle, which we touched on earlier, yeah. is the idea of mikam chesro. Right. Uh, the, the fact I mean, that people coming from New York to clean up your shul. Amazing. That's and unbelievable. Then, uh, from all over the country. Yeah. And, and donations as well. We set up a, a donation on our website, right. on MyrlandMinion.org. And uh, donations have been coming in from Eretz Yisrael. They've been coming in from Chicago, from New York, from, from California. Uh, really incredible, an incredible thing. Donations coming from organizations. You know, the Aguda, uh, the Orthodox Union. Uh, Lakewood Yeshiva, and in even also non-Jewish organizations who sent us in very, very nice grants. Uh, and uh, really very, very uh, touching. I- I'll share with you one story, if I may. Sure. Uh, so I'm going through um, the mail yesterday, just looking at, again, these. I- I've gotten used to this idea that donations come from the strangest of places. And the particular donation I was looking at was, was very interesting. I opened it up, and it says on the, on the envelope, 
It says, uh, United States Department of Justice. <laughs> so I said, at first I thought we were in trouble. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> then I open it up, and I see it's a check. So I'm thinking, what? the government doesn't send you checks for nothing, right? <laughs> so I look at the check, and then it says underneath, from the Bureau of Federal Prisons. And then I hopped, then I understood that here's somebody who's sitting in prison, in federal prison. And wants to help the shul. And he wants to help the shul. <laughs> he read something online. I, well, he probably doesn't have access right. to it, but he read something in some newspaper that right. he has access to, and he wants to help the shul. I was blown away. And then I read down, and it actually listed the name of the individual who sent us the check. Do you want to know who sent us this check? Jonathan Pollard. Jonathan Pollard. <laughs> How'd you know? I've heard this story from so many different causes. He's unbelievable. He wow. always sends something to people, to juicy things that are in need, it's which amazing. is an unbelievable. It's beautiful. Just think about what he's going right. through and what he does. That he's thinking about us. It's unbelievable. And, and, and you tell this story. I, the only reason I was hesitant to say his name and guess his name is I know the health challenges he's going through. I figured how could he possibly be keeping this up of helping people in need, and look what happened. Unbelievable. Incredible. Unbelievable. Mikam Kleisrael. Mikam is right. Rabbi Gidel Moskowitz, Meyerland Minion. People should look it up online, and when they visit Houston, you're more than happy to welcome them. Absolutely. Please right. do. Please come Southern on hospitality. That's right. A great Southern challenge, I'm sure. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you very Shabbos. much. Thank Every you. Shabbos. Thank you very much. Uh, we're here at JM in the AM, all the way from the New York, New Jersey area. We are down in Houston, Texas. As we, oh, Is this who I think it is? <laughs> um, first of all, is it Lakey or Likey? Lakey. Lakey, okay. I don't want to mispronounce your name. Uh, we're all the way here in Houston, and Lakey is the lady. And first of all, a big hello to Lakey's mom, Shoshana Minkowitz. You related to Shalom? Yes. How are you related to Shalom? Shalom's my oldest brother. Shalom's your brother? <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Um, I'm trying to think what I need. What do I need? Some hard <laughs> salami? What do I need? <laughs> because your brother's still involved in the beef business, yeah, right? Sure. There you go. Yeah. All right, anyway. Um, so we found out that this is Shalom Minkowitz's sister. More importantly, she's the daughter of, uh, of Shoshana Minkowitz, who's a regular listener of our regular show. Regular listener. Baruch Hashem. Lakey, how long are you in Houston? Uh, we live here 17 years. And why'd you come down here to begin with? Uh, my husband got a job through for the company Albertsons. Oh, of course. Yeah, the supermarket was, chain. Right. They're not here anymore in Houston, but that's what brought us down. And your name is Lakey Donan, I was asked right. to mention. So people realize who you are. Uh, and what's your function here at the JCC? I own the cafe. I'm the in-house caterer. How long have you been doing this? Uh, it's going to be two years in November. I hear it's a delicious menu. Thank you. I hear people enjoy this day and night. To what time are you open, by the way? 7 p.m. So anybody who's visiting Houston, they know they have a, they have time for a good meal if they get here before 7 o'clock. That's right. Every single day? Every day, Monday through Thursday, Friday till 2. Very nice. All right, so check it out. It's called Lakey's Gourmet. Lakey Donan is the uh, proprietor, and she's right here at the JCC. You must have an unbelievable perspective, because we're here just a few hours, and we see how many hundreds, I, I think we could safely say thousands of people come through this JCC just in a day like today. You must see Jews from all walks of life all day long. That's right. It's, it's really remarkable. From all walks of life. We love it here. We love being here. We like the fact that we're so... Um, like so well liked, the food is good. Uh, we represent the 
from community here in Houston, here at the JCC. Right. And um, it's Meaning really nice. that everybody could eat here. Everybody it's a could nice eat kosher here. facility yeah. no matter what. Everybody could eat That's here. right. And and the people who are here, whether they're kosher or not kosher at home, they love the fact that right. it's kosher because it still tastes good. Sure. That's right. <laughs> well, you're doing a very good job. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. I thank you very much for joining us and for welcoming us and for your hospitality. Thank we you. We look forward to visiting Houston. We're not talking about, you know, devastation and storms. Yep. Uh, and anybody who comes down, check out. Right when you walk into the JCC, you'll find it. Thank you. Right when you walk in. Thank you very much, Lakey. That's Lakey Donan, Lakey's Gourmet in Houston. That's right. You didn't think there was uh, great kosher food in Houston. We found it right in the center of the JCC. Quarter after the hour, it's JM and the AM as we continue. Miriam Alwalik is here. Social media sites that people can follow our photos and all that other stuff on Facebook, mm-hmm. Nahum Siegel Network. Correct. Instagram, Nahum Siegel. On Twitter at Nahum Siegel Net, and you're guaranteeing that there that there are some nice photos that people could see. Jamie's busy. Oh yeah. Yes. But not just with our guests. You also have photos of what we saw earlier today, right? Correct. And Jamie's actually going to be posting in real time during the show the sh- the pictures that accompany your different guests. But more than that, during the day, throughout the day tomorrow, she'll be posting a number of pictures of what we saw as we toured Houston, along with the website. Uh, for people to give, which is HoustonJewish.org dot org slash Houston Flood. You know, you never know what direction this show is going to take. Even though I'm doing it a long time, nobody ever knows. Even do though Mark's producing. Do you get what I'm saying when I tell you that when I was walking into uh, uh, into um, Rabbi Gelman Shul, oh, U O S. I thought it was going to be a scene where they were basically recovering. I was Where the main sanctuary, which we saw in those original photos, was going to be like, you know, right on the right track to recovery. And it's just the exact opposite. You and I, I mean, I saw your face and it was basically the way I was feeling. Just like our eyes were rolling on the floor. You couldn't believe what you were seeing. It's completely devastated. And this is the... We've already cleaned up the mess. Right. And they don't even know if they're going to remain in that building. Right. And they have so many other things to think about. But they also talked about um, well, how all how the, the the help that they have received from so many different people in right. so many different ways. The the city of Houston was getting rid of racks. And so they were able to... Library you know, racks. Right, right, library racks. So they were able to put their sperm that were donated from another community. In Sacramento. Right. Uh, A Sacramento congregation donated hundreds of humushim right. to the Orthodox shul in Houston. And we have a picture of those racks that right. you'll see throughout the... You'll see today at some point or another. But it, again, it just talking, uh, talking to the residents here... And their upbeat personality. I mean, we went to the home. The, she'll be on a little bit later, Holly. Right. Um, and her biggest concern was rebuilding her house so she could have more guests. Right. And that she kept on saying, you know, I need to, I need to be able to have people over. I, and I'm saying to myself, you have other things to worry right. about. Right. <laughs> you have no downstairs of your house. <laughs> There's a sink on your dining room table. Like all and these... that's 100% true, by the right. way. Right. And I have pictures there's sinks, of that. There's sinks everywhere. There are sinks everywhere. And there are no bottoms of any of your walls. But you're concerned with providing other people meals. Just the outboring. I mean, that's where her focus is. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's really, it's really quite remarkable. Uh, information again are to support, uh, the general fund that's been set up, HoustonJewish.org slash Houston Flood. And, uh, I thank those who made sure that we should be in Houston, Texas. Absolutely. So many comparisons for us to what we did, and we did it at the right time, um, after Superstorm Sandy. We really, right. we right, we waited the right number, of, I think it was also about six weeks. We I waited think it was the, a little less, but I could five. be wrong, yeah. But it, we w- waited the right number of weeks before we actually hit the road and, and started it. 
describing for people what had happened. In this case, the same thing, that we uh, are here now six weeks in, a little bit more, and we're able to convey to everybody that, boy, this situation for so many people is not anywhere close to normal yet, as much as we think uh, that it might be. Um, well, Lee Wunsch is the uh, CEO of the Federation here in Houston, and without a doubt gets the Hero of the Day uh, award for us, for, from us, because he has been our host um, here in Houston for the entire day and, and led the tour to homes, synagogues, devastated areas, showed us a tremendous amount, uh, appreciated the fact and continues to appreciate the fact that we're here from the New York, New Jersey area, expressing concern and wanting to help raise a little bit of money and raise awareness. Lee, welcome to JM and the AM. Thank you, and thank you for coming to Houston. A pleasure. How long have you been in Houston, Texas? I've been in Houston, Texas since 1978. Wow. That's quite a stretch of time. <laughs> how many a storms? Years. How many storms have you been through? <laughs> Let's not talk about how many storms. <laughs> it's too, been a lot, though, right? Too many. More, more than you can count on one hand. Too many. And this one, and it, it, it is taking on again one of the themes of this show. Uh, a lot of people don't realize it was completely unexpected as a damaging storm. This was not a quote-unquote tropical storm with a name. It was not hurricane season, which starts June 1st. This came out of nowhere to a degree. A lot of people went to sleep that night, that Monday night, not realizing the type of damage they'd be having all you know, through the night and the next morning. We're used to hurricane season. It started June 1st. The storm was a week before. Hurricane season, we know a storm is coming. We have a lot of uh, opportunities to... Get ready the to data. prepare, right. weather forecasts, right. etc. This storm was coming like a regular rainstorm. And it rains a lot in Houston. We're a tropical climate, particularly during the summer. What we didn't expect was the uh, deluge of rain in a very short time that disproportionately affected the neighborhoods where half of our Jewish community lives. How long have you been the uh, CEO of the Federation down here in Houston? I've been the head of the Federation for 16 years, been with the Federation 28 years. So uh, let's just take your leadership position okay. of the last 16 years. Right. Uh, I'm sure you've had many challenges, I've and I'm sure you've had a, a lot of work to be done in many different areas, some of which was unexpected. Uh, this has got to be uh, an episode that threw you and Jewish leadership down here a little bit for a loop. It had to have been a devastating blow. Uh, it has because we honestly had no idea what was happening at the moment it was happening again when there's a hurricane right. or a tropical storm we've planned you can't plan for every storm because every storm is different but in this case it simply started raining and before we knew it the neighborhoods were flooded and in the day the first day after the rain the city was shut down we couldn't even move so some of us were trying to work from home but it wasn't until the Wednesday after the storm that the it began to uh, reveal itself as to what had happened. Right. Is it safe to say because of the magnitude of the Federation, because of the, as we've described it, the incredible ability you have down here to really be a fantastic resource for all uh, of the diverse Jewish community? I mean, you are, you know, we're sitting here in the JCC, you with the Federation next door. It's not an understatement to say that you are the umbrella of the entire Jewish community, that every segment of the community depends on you. With that responsibility on you, um, did you wonder if you'd be able to supply and and uh, and effectively handle the what, what people needed to be handled in the aftermath of the storm? It must have been a a scary you know, situation it's for you. It was a scary situation, but uh, because we've had some experience dealing with these storms, 
we had somewhat of a game plan. And again, every storm is different. Uh, but I'm always impressed and inspired by the fact that people are professional leadership, our volunteers, they step up to the plate. When, when families are in crisis, as they definitely were and continue to be, uh, we step up and, uh, and respond. Um, you didn't know, at least I would assume you didn't know, if the financial support necessary to help the people would come through. Um, it, you're absolutely you had right. No idea. You had no idea had no how idea. people would respond. Yet, Jewish communities, both as individuals and as organizations throughout the entire country, helped out in the last six weeks. We've, we've received uh, a lot of support from communities around the country, quite frankly, from, including some communities in Israel. Right. But I'll be, I'd be less than honest if I didn't tell you that the magnitude of the cost is such that we need more help. And, of course, the reason I'm delighted you're here is because it's disappeared from the media. Right. Both nationally and locally. And so part of our job is to keep this uppermost in people's minds, that this is a long-term recovery process that will be the costliest natural disaster to ever affect Houston's Jewish community. And as we've said, the community down here has been through others, but this will be the closest. We'll get out the web address in a minute. Um, this is something you explained to us earlier today. Uh, there are so many people in Houston, thank God, both Jewish and non-Jewish, who had no damage. There are so many people in this city of, you know, so many thousands that, that you know, were able to go to work a couple of days later and get back to normal. And that's what you mean when you say that there's just... You know, even locally, this has been out of the media. We would suspect, you know, the Houston newspapers are probably covering this on a daily basis. In many cases, they're not. They're not. Because it's just out of the picture. And we have hundreds. You've estimated 500. Someone earlier said uh, the 480, uh, you know, of families just within the Jewish community here who are in dire need, in terrible situations. You gave us a tour earlier of a couple of different homes. The downstairs, we're talking about the main floors, the dining rooms, the living rooms, in many cases, bedrooms. The kitchens, completely devastated, gone forever. Either and decisions are going to have to be made to rebuild, how to rebuild, maybe knock down the entire home and and rebuild it from scratch. There are people who are in a very tough situation right now. So they fall into two categories. We're concerned as a community with the short, midterm recovery of these families that are facing extraordinary financial exposure. They want to rebuild their homes. Uh, to whatever degree, but the home, two of the homes, you saw two homes yep. today, and multiply it times hundreds. Right. Similar. Situations. Same scene. You've seen plenty. You can attest to the fact that it's the same There's scene in each one. 50 or 60 homes right. over the last six weeks. And the bigger challenge for the community is that this has been a very stable Jewish community for many, many years. It's a good Jewish community. Not the size of Jewish communities in the tri-state area. No, we're not talking about size. We're talking about quality. Quality Jewish right. community where everybody gets along. A beautiful community. But if families make decisions that they don't want to subject themselves to additional flooding, right. then they could make decisions to either leave the neighborhoods where we've invested billions in our Jewish community institutions over the last 60 years, or even worse, leave the city. 
and that would devastate our Jewish community, right. devastate. And you mentioned that the, when it comes to the Orthodox community, there's an added component where because of Shabbos, walking, etc., proximity to shuls, it's a tighter community. Could you imagine if, God forbid, a percentage of that group would pick up and leave? Obviously, it would have a tremendous so just effect. just two years or three years after the OU said Houston right. is one of the most desirable Jewish communities for young Orthodox families to come and live a rich Jewish life, we could literally see the exodus of those same families right. from the community, from yeah. the city. Today's not the day for the tour, for those prospective people That's who correct. want to move in, but hopefully in a few months. I only take friends on the tours. <laughs> right. I don't take strangers on the tours. <laughs> hopefully in a few months, there'll be a right. great tour again. We'll right. be able to show correct. people how incredible correct. this community is. Uh, Lee Wunsch is with us. He's CEO of the Federation here in Houston, Texas. When it's not... A discussion about devastation, but it's not a discussion about the supporting HoustonJewish.org slash Houston Flood. That's HoustonJewish.org slash Houston Flood. Your days are spent uh, doing what when we're not talking about uh, you know homes being devastated and synagogues that have to re- we're rebuild. We're focused on building a vibrant Jewish community here and helping our Jewish communities around the globe. And people would be amazed at the events, at the outreach at the programs, at the summer camps, at what goes on in this building, what goes on in your building, they'd be amazed at just how much of a vibrant Jewish presence there is here. Right. When my parents moved to Texas in 1951, their family, my family in the New York area said, where the heck are you going? And in 1951, of course, it was, uh, you know, not much of a Jewish community in the various cities in Texas. Today we have a vibrant, active, dynamic Jewish community and lots of activities and uh, you can lead a very nice Jewish life in, in Houston. No so question. the Federation's involved with uh, all of the things that go on in, in our community and indeed around the world. Yeah, no question about it. And the enormity is just incredible. I mean, we right. spoke about it the, during the early part of this program. One of our guests was telling us just we're going to be the um, uh, CEO of this, uh, of this building, right. of the Jewish Federation, of the, um, Jewish of the Jewish Community Center, of the J, as it's called. And just going through some of the things that happen on a typical summer day, and it's really, people would find it uh, amazing. I'm sure they do as they listen in. Uh, again, uh, we're in a crisis situation in Houston, Texas. Six weeks later, while the bulk of the world thinks that this problem is over and that synagogues are able to get back on their feet and that, uh, and that um, families are able to just move on and uh, are already in the process of rebuilding, that's a 100% false. Uh, it's just not true. Uh, we are still in a crisis situation. Anybody out there who wants to help, HoustonJewish.org slash Houston Flood. You have many approbations from around the world of people who recognize the great work that's being done here and how you're allocating the money very carefully through, through you know, very uh, credible resources. So people should uh, take that to heart and give whatever they can, HoustonJewish.org slash Houston Flood. Lee, thank you so much for everything thank today. You. Thank you for being here. And we appreciate you having us. It's great to be here. Um, Rabbi Goldwasser, has, who's with us 7.30 every uh, um, weekday morning, actually every Sunday through Thursday morning more accurately, has prepared a, a special message, a special Torah message regarding our journey to Houston. He has prepared a special words uh, regarding what's going on here today that we picked up at the encouragement of, uh, of some very wonderful listeners and decided to come down and focus on what's happening down here in Houston. Rabbi Goldwasser's words, Zechonish Masar of Zeb and Yosef Alevi. Here is Rabbi David Goldwasser with Morning Chizuk. Today we pay tribute to the communities in Texas, in particular the Houston community, 
America's fourth largest city and home to 40,000 Jews. We realize the tremendous devastation wrought by the floods and the ensuing damage. Numerous residents had to be evacuated, including the respected Rabbi Emeritus, Rabbi Radinsky. Synagogues suffered damage. The JCC had two of its properties flooded, including its center. Shuls and main sanctuaries, social halls, school wings, administrative offices. Miraculously, the Torahs were saved. The heroic acts of volunteers from the Jewish community, along with many others, went from house to house with canoes and rafts to rescue elderly residents. Synagogues banded together in an unprecedented show of achdus and unity to help each other out, to provide space, and to be of service to each other's members. What an unbelievable time, a time of devastation, a time of hope, a time of destruction, yet a time of rebuilding. The very distinguished rabbinate of Houston provided great leadership, guidance, and help for the many who found themselves without homes, cars, without anything. We saw the greatness of the Jewish community that came together with an indomitable faith, a spirit to forge ahead and rebuild the very vibrant Jewish community, a citadel of Jewish life. There were Sifrei Torah that were saved. However, the Tfilin, Sidurim, Machzarim, and Svarim, holy books, were destroyed. We read in Vayikra, Eish Tomid Tukar al Mizbeach, a permanent fire shall remain aflame on Mizbeach, the altar, it shall not be extinguished. There were ten miracles performed for our ancestors in the Holy Temple in the Besamikdash. One of those were that the rains did not extinguish the fire of the altar. The great Rabbi Chaim of Alojan asked the question, We know that Hashem can do anything at all. Hashem could have ensured that no rain would fall on the Mizbeach at all. Then, each time that rain fell, there would be no need for a special miracle that the fire of the altar should not be extinguished. Reb Chaim answered, This is intended to teach us the proper way that a person has to conduct himself in this world. No matter what happens, no matter the climate or conditions, no matter the devastation, one should never lose his footing, his maimed, in Avodah Sakodesh, in serving Hashem. One must remain steadfast in his holy work. Just like the fire would constantly burn on the altar, and even the strong grains were not able to douse that fire, so too, as difficult as certain periods may be in a person's life, we remain constant, we are steady, with our faith intact. The community of Houston has shown that they have stood the test of the winds and the rain, of the flood and the water, of the devastation, of the damage. With their faith intact, looking ahead to the future, they will build bigger and better than ever before. When the Beis Yisrael was getting on in years, his health was frail. The doctor advised him to take a walk every day in his gabai, his secretary, would accompany him on all of his walks. One day, it was a warm morning in Yerushalayim. The Rebbe said quietly under his breath as he was walking, Kali, Kali, it's cold, it's cold. The Gaba said, 
Rebbe, let's go home immediately. We've got to call the doctor. It's very warm. The Rebbe said, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. But right now, the soldiers in the Hermon are freezing and I feel their cold in my bones. I appeal to all the listeners throughout the world to Nachum Siegel in the morning program. Please respond generously. Feel the cold in your bones. Feel what the people of Houston have gone through over the past weeks. Understand that their plight is our plight. Their lives and their future are our lives and our future. We are inextricably bound. Feel the need and the urgency of the moment and please respond. I guarantee you, for every bit of help that we give to them, we will be rewarded, kefal kiflayim, many times over. This has been Rabbi David Goldwasser, wishing the entire community of Houston, Hatzlochem Broch in the future, Chazak ve'amatz. Rabbi Goldwasser, you are unbelievable. What a tremendous message for this special show, and we greatly appreciate it. Uh, Rabbi Goldwasser uh, asked everyone to keep everyone in Houston in mind, and we ask you to give as generously as possible. Uh, we saw the devastation uh, with our own eyes, and we experienced, uh, or, or we through the uh, the words of the people who were in the devastating situations, experienced what they went through to a degree, and uh, experienced verbally, I mean. Anyway, uh, we ask everyone to respond. HoustonJewish.org slash HoustonFlood. HoustonJewish.org slash HoustonFlood. Um, Jacob Cameras, is that the right pronunciation? Cameras, yeah. Jacob Cameras is with us, and he is the editor-in-chief, marketing director, managing director, I should say, of the JNS.org News Service, yeah. based here in Houston, which is a secret for many. Right. Not a lot of people knew that he was based in Houston, Texas. They right. know that he's out there. They didn't know where. <laughs> we found him. That's right. Uh, thank you very much for being here, uh, Jacob. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Explain to everybody in the audience first, what is the JNS.org News Service? Absolutely. So JNS.org, or the Jewish News Service, we provide content to Jewish media, uh, print and online, uh, around the country and around the world. How many outlets do you think utilize your material? About 40 to 50 uh, per month utilize the material. About 100 total are on our distribution list. Uh, how do you do all this? What's the system these days when we're in an era of... Uh you know, tech, great technological speed. Right. How does one go ahead and run right. JNS.org? Besides my cloning machine. <laughs> That's um, what you need these days. Right. Well, you know, we have correspondents around the world. Uh, first of all, we do have a full-time staff of three writers and editors. Right. Uh, we also have correspondents who work with us around the world, several correspondents in Israel. Um, and we're just gathering the news. A lot of the time, since the news, as you said, is so fast-moving, we're basically feeding off what... Other news, people are breaking on the ground, and we're providing the longer view, the perspective, the analysis, because that's what we're able to do, and that's what, yeah. That's why so many people turn to your uh, service for commentary, yes. for an extended look, so to speak, uh, you know, at an individual news story, yes. a little bit more analysis, however you want to put it. Yes. Uh, you're out there to provide more in-depth coverage uh, yes. than others. Uh, Jacob Cameras yes. is here. He's a JNS. Uh, dot org is that I assume that people just go to that website can they yes. sign up for a newsletter what do they do over there 
Yeah, you can sign up for the newsletter. Uh, we send a weekly email newsletter. We are updating news throughout the day, but we choose not to inundate people with too much email, so we send out the newsletter once a week. Is this news that people in the New York, New Jersey area insisted that uh, someone like myself come down here and uh, expose to the world what Houston, Texas, and its Jewish community is going through? I think so. I mean, I, I think that it's, it's rare, first of all, even though Houston is a large city, fourth largest city in the country. It's rare for this Jewish community to get national attention. It's somewhat unfortunate for Houston to get national attention uh, for a disaster and yeah. for many families a tragedy. Um, but, uh, but the story itself is newsworthy. It's certainly a story that someone from the New York area is coming down, I think. But it's what's most newsworthy, I think, is the community uh, rebuilding efforts, the Jewish unity that's been displayed. Um, it's been an inspiration to me as a person and as a professional. It's such really. an important component of this story. The unity yeah. is incredible. The outreach from uh, all aspects of life, not just Jewish life, right. has been amazing. Um, and I, I mentioned earlier, you never know what type of theme this show is going to take uh, once we hit the road and turn on the microphone. It's obvious that the theme that developed over the last couple of hours is that so many people in this country and the world think that everybody's essentially recovering and doing a pretty good job recovering and things are getting back to normal. I keep mentioning that I saw that the Shul Sanctuary today figured, hey, it's going to be, you know, it's going to look like they're they're on their way to be back on their feet, and it's just the opposite. There's so many people who are still mired in um, the aftermath of what happened back uh, on that Monday night. Right. Um, and that's a very important message, and I hope that uh, if we do nothing else here today, I mean, I'd love to raise some money for this community and to... Uh, Make sure people around the world know how to uh, how to give. But if we if we do nothing else, let's at least assure everybody that the situation down here is a devastating one, and it's going to take a while before this community recovers. What made you move to Houston, Texas? You had been in so many different places in the United right. States. Why Houston? It's a good question. Um, it was mainly driven by my wife's job. Uh, my wife Megan is the founder and CEO of an educational startup. Um, it's called FuelEd FuelEdSchools.org. They um, they train teachers in social and emotional competencies to fill a gap in uh, teacher training across the country. You know, many many teachers just aren't trained in not equipped with that relationships right. and those kinds of skills. Uh, so she started this company and got clients in uh, Houston, <laughs> and we moved from LA to Houston for that reason, basically. And I again work uh, remotely. Actually, the funders of JNS.org, I should say the founders of JNS.org are in Boston. Um, so I met my wife in Boston. She wanted to move to Los Angeles. See, it's funny. When you and mentioned then, uh, to me off the air that you work yeah. remotely, I still yeah. said to myself, it's funny you mentioned this, yeah. I said to myself, yeah, but wouldn't it be advantageous for him to be in the Eastern time zone? And then you mentioned that the founders are in Boston. I don't, I don't, I don't get you into any trouble, but I'm just, well, I'm just curious if there's anything detrimental for being an hour away from the East. Well... You know, it's not that bad in the central time zone, but I can say when I lived in Los Angeles for a year, I was getting up quite early, let's say 5 a.m. <laughs> that was a much bigger and, challenge. Uh, huh? Yes, and trying to keep pace with, uh, with with the East Coast Jewish media, that was uh, that was a little bit of a challenge, but I did it. Man, so, they, have an, they have an advantage, yeah. what can I tell you? Jacob yeah. Camaras is with us, JNS.org. He is the managing director and editor-in-chief of the Jewish News Service. Um, all right, we talked about the unity. We talked about right. the aspect of today's theme where people have to realize that people here are still going through a tremendous uh, a, a tremendous trials and tribulations in the aftermath of what's going on. Is there any angle to this story from your perspective that we are missing or needs to be emphasized? Right. Well, you know, I, I think that 
there is a turning point, you know, being faced by individual families and the entire community. I've, as a journalist, I've done some of my own coverage on this flood, naturally. Right. You know, I started off because, and I wrote a piece uh, for JNS.org on this, and I couldn't bring myself to cover it as a news story at first because it was so personal. Uh, we lost a car, which was no big deal, right. really. And my wife and I happened to be stuck in an elevator for a minute that night in our building. So it was a pretty personal story, and I wrote about it from the personal perspective at first. But really the turning point for the entire community and families. You know, these families are families who have been flooded are in the midst of making a life-changing decision what to do with their house. Do they rebuild? Do they raise their house? Do they start over? It's These are big decisions. Right. Um, and collectively, if you combine all the affected families into one Jewish community, um, that's a collective turning point, really, for the for the community. Where does the community go from here? Um, do the neighborhoods maintain their Jewish character? Um, the unity is important, and um, it's inspiring to me to see how much everyone is volunteering, all the communal strength. It is um, amazing. But as a young person, yeah, but as a young person um, who's still somewhat transient with my wife in terms of where we're going to live in the future, and for young people like us, I'm saying sort of 25 to 35 in, in our apartment building near the shul, um, it's a question whether, you know, after the flood, um, what capacity the community will have. And, you know, we're really rooting for the community, and we hope the rebuilding goes well. I mean, oh, that's, we hope and yeah. pray that this goes well. Uh, JNS.org, people can sign up for the newsletter, and they can uh, and they can get information about all the great work you do. That is um, uh, Jacob Camaris, who is the editor-in-chief of JNS Jewish News Service. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Nathan. And thanks for welcoming us to Houston. Yes. And I am told that uh, we have a very special guest with us, and that is a uh, beloved mayor of Houston, Texas, Anise Parker, who is now uh, serving in her third term as mayor and uh, has now overseen this uh, uh, episode, this Memorial Day storm that we, uh, a few weeks later, got to see today with our own eyes, uh, the aftermath of that storm. Uh, Mayor Parker, welcome to JM in the AM. Thanks. I'm glad to be with you. I appreciate you being here. I assume you've, you've heard that we are here from the New York, New Jersey area to show support, to shed some light on what's going on down here in Houston, Texas, to remind people that there are still families who are devastated to the point where they have a tremendous uh, recovery ahead of them. And um, it's great to be here. And I hope that people in Houston realize that some of the folks in New York and New Jersey care about what's going on down here. We're glad to know that. And uh, unfortunately, some of the folks in New York and New Jersey know what it's like to be uh, flooded out. Yeah, no question about uh, that. they've experienced it. We have a little bit different situation down here in that the land on which the city of Houston sits flooded when there wasn't a single human being here. It's probably going to flood <laughs> forever. And uh, it, it, is a, it is a matter of topography. We built our city on the coastal prairie, and if it rains hard enough and fast enough, it will flood. The other thing that people need to know is that the streets are part of our drainage system by design. The streets are designed to hold water until the slow-moving little rivers that run through Houston can can catch up with things and and uh, God help us when the when the tide comes in and those those little rivers can't empty out. All right. What happened in the Memorial Day flood is that we 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 had three strikes. We had a significant amount of rain in a short period of time on top of two weeks of really heavy steady rain and the the ground was saturated the 
the rivers, and we have about 10 small rivers. We call them bios down here that run through Houston. And then the storm crest from all the rain that was in central Texas, it was upstream of us, hit all at the same time. And the most impacted community is where we're sitting right now. Right. And it all backed up here. It was like putting a putting a stopper in a bathtub, and the and the water just came up. I would assume you have visited many of the homes that were devastated that night. I have visited uh, a few. Uh, fortunately, most of the folks in this area had uh, resources. They quickly got into it and, and you know pulled out the the, the, the damaged uh, uh, materials in their homes. We also mobilized hundreds of volunteers. Uh, who helped? In, in fact, it was pretty amazing. Uh, we we used a lot of faith-based volunteers who were uh, helping everybody, regardless of uh, of community. What's happened in to us or with us in the past is when we had a flooding event, churches go out and they help their their congregants. Right. This time we, we, we mobilized and said, we're going to send you wherever the need is. And uh, it was really beautiful and to see. And they responded wonderfully. Uh, the uh, mayor of Houston, Texas, the Honorable Anise Parker, is with us. We're here in Houston at the JCC. Um, we're here and we're encouraging people to obviously support the Federation in their work. You know that the Federation has been doing an amazing job in terms of distributing money and trying to collect as much as possible for people in need. What about the federal government? When you as a leader of the, Houston, uh, the city of Houston and you see the devastation and there are people in need, Has the federal government been helpful in turning to Houston and saying, what can we do for you? The FEMA response is, I think, the fastest we've we've ever seen. Uh, The major floods were on uh, Monday night into Tuesday morning, and by Friday the president had uh, declared the disaster, and uh, FEMA was on the ground, and they had had pre-staged, ready to go. So uh, that's been good. It's... We are, it is a competition for federal dollars, however, right. and we are in a competition with much of the state of Texas that was hit by the same storm system and a, and a series of floods that, that rolled downstream. And so uh, they've already distributed uh, tens of millions of dollars, actually, in Texas, and so the response is there, but it is a uh, bureaucratic process, and a lot of folks get frustrated with the fact that they have to turn in a lot of, of paperwork to make things happen. What is important is that you have 60 days to register with FEMA from the date of the, de- the de- declaration, and so July 28th is the, the deadline. deadline. We remember that from that, Sandy, right? And then that goes away. Right. So now, since we're here uh, in the uh, here in the Jewish Community Center and in the heart of the Jewish community in Houston, we do have some particular challenges that we're dealing with, including a couple of of church communities, synagogues uh, uh, that were were damaged, and uh, situations where the members were living close proximity to each other. So it's the entire uh, congregation that right. was was impacted, and. Uh, we want them to stay in the community. We want them to rebuild. The city is not interested in doing any buyouts. The county's not interested in doing any buyouts. That's uh, we we don't believe that uh, this is a situation that that warrants it. We want people to get back into their homes, but it's been hard to get the word out and hard to it, because it's a one by one by one. Every situation is different. Although we are encouraging, going back to the the uh, the uh, uh, very 
ultra-Orthodox congregation that uh, we have here that we can approach things in a... Uh, on a group basis, right. things like getting appraisals, you can do group appraisals. Things like you know, they can they, we can come in. Uh, we're we're actually going to send our people to the synagogue and and sit down doing doing you know special on the ground outreach. In addition to the, what we're doing here tonight. Oh, so there are things that can be done as groups. And tonight's, is, from what I'm told, is a very helpful program that people come mm-hmm. and get answers they weren't able to get till this point. Mm-hmm. Aside from a uh, surprising major league team and a really good NBA team, <laughs> what else should my listeners know about Houston, Texas? Hey, we have three uh, uh, women on the uh, the Women's World Cup team who play. Three Houston, from Houston? Three from Houston, the Houston Dash. You're real champions. Woo-hoo. And Carly Lloyd. <laughs> oh, so. my gosh. <laughs> So in the sports category, you're doing fine down here. Yeah, we are. We are doing fine. Even the Texans, you know, they've been doing. They've been doing okay. But yes, the Astros are very surprising. Yeah, to right say now. the least. Anything else we should know about the city of Houston? We're told it's one of the friendliest places in the United States. You agree with that? I absolutely agree with that. We are also arguably the the most internationally diverse city in the United States, and. Uh, I have had some smackdowns with folks from New York who argue with me about that. But the but the thing is that a lot of that diversity in New York is in the suburbs. Here, we just go out and annex the suburbs, so it's all part of the all one of Houston. big Houston. But uh, one in five Houstonians is foreign-born, and nobody outside of Houston believes that. Well, it's a fact. That's, it is a they're, fact. They're going to have to live with that. And we're approaching one in four. And, in, and in fact, in some of our bedroom communities, uh, for example, just... South of us, uh, the majority of the city council is foreign-born South Asian, uh, very uh, well-integrated and active in the community. Oh, there you go. Interesting. Mayor Parker, thank you so much for stopping by tonight. An honor to meet you, and great to have you on the air. And we'll encourage people to support Houston as much as they can. And visit Houston. It's a great place to visit, too. When it's not raining. (laughs) Yes, stay away (laughs) from the rain. Thank you very, very much. The mayor of the city of Houston, the Honorable Anise Parker, I remind everybody there is a fund from the Jewish Federation, HoustonJewish.org, HoustonJewish.org, uh, slash Houston Flood, HoustonJewish.org, slash Houston Flood. And, uh, <laughs> this is one of the most amazing stories. I was reading this on the plane and I could not believe we were going to meet people from this incredible family. Uh, there's a bakery in Houston called the Three Brothers Bakery. And, you just have to remind me who our guests are. Uh, the Three Brothers Bakery, and um, we have representatives, believe it or not, of the Three Brothers Bakery here, and this is really an incredible story. Uh, it's Janice, Jan- yeah, help me out here, Mark. Janice and Bobby Juker are here. Thank you very much for being here. We hear you're two of the most incredible pillars of the Houston community. Thank you very much for visiting us here tonight well, thank at JMDA. Thank you very much. Uh, this story goes back to Europe, quite obviously. We're talking about a story of real survival. Uh, how your family got to Houston eventually is a story in and of itself. But go back to the point where the where those who ended up founding your bakery and coming to the United States, we didn't know if they would survive the next day, right? Essentially, that's uh, that's an accurate portrayal. That right? would be accurate. That would yeah. be accurate. So th- this goes back to who are we talking about? Your well, it's been in my family for on the fifth generation. Right. Uh, for almost 200 years, we've been in the bakery business, my family has. So that's what they knew. I mean, they knew the bakery business. So what happens when World War II begins? Um, my dad runs to Russia. Right. 
because uh, they were in what country were they in? They were in Poland. They're in Poland. He goes to Russia. He, ru- he essentially runs away, escapes and gets escapes, to Russia. Right. Uh, works in a in a coal mine. Um, gets black lung. Um, and desperately wants to work in a bakery again. Heals himself. Goes to work in a bakery. Lives on top of the oven. Doesn't have any money for shoes. Is wearing flour sacks for shoes. Um, the story goes like so many Holocaust survivors. His mother goes to get to find him, sends someone to find him three times. They finally find him on top of the oven with no shoes, living in this bakery. Brings him back to Poland. The day that they they left, I uh, left very early in the morning. The day that they left, the Germans came in, rounded up all the Jews, and killed them all. So he is very, very lucky, like so many. A a a remark. I mean, to think about you know escaping to Russia, coming back, everything that ends up having to happening to the community and the family, and that he's able to survive is just unbelievable. Um, at what point does he make it to the United States? 1949. And he'll come to the United States. And why Houston, Texas? Because his sister was here. His sister was in Houston. Yes. And and uh, they were supposed to go to Colorado, and sister said, wrote him a letter and said, you need to come here. The streets are lined with gold. <laughs> she meant you it, right? You need to come to Houston, Texas. So they came to Houston, Texas. Uh, and um, obviously because of the bakery background, felt he had to found some type of bakery here. Well. I would guess. Yeah, they... Uh, they got sponsored by someone in the bakery business who right. didn't really want to sponsor them, but they sponsored them. And um, they started Three Brothers Bakery shortly after they got here um, in a very small place. And it had no parking, and they didn't speak English. They didn't know. Everyone in the shtetl walked to the bakery. They didn't know you had to have parking. <laughs> so it was kind of a... <laughs> You know, it was a learning experience. A little bit of a culture shock? Yeah, very much. They made $19 the first day. That's a family fact? That's a family fact. They made $19 the first day. Actually, it seems pretty good for $19. I thought that was pretty good. And we actually even know the first customer that walked through the door. We still are in touch with him. Yeah, we... we, Clyde uh, Cannon. Clyde Cannon was the first customer of Three Brothers Bakery. Uh, And, you know, he was going to high school. And uh, stopped on his way to high school. Stopped on his way. The first day that they opened was the first one in line. Came in the bakery. The very first customer. When we got hit by Ike. Um, what year is that? That was 2008. Yeah. Um, this man called us up and said, "You know, I was the first customer at Three Brothers Bakery." We're like, "You're kidding us." <laughs> no, I was in line. I was the first one in line, waiting. For the bakery to open, and uh, I was the first customer. The bakery thrives today, and it has other branches, right? I mean, it's grown since then, correct? Yeah, yeah. And Clyde was our first customer right. for each of our new stores. Are you serious? And when we reopened after Ike. <laughs> yes. It's like our lucky charm. And he's, and he's still, he and Sigmund and another gentleman, Joe, meet for coffee at uh, one of our stores every Monday. Unbelievable. <laughs> uh, hey, if it works, keep going with it, right? Uh, Janice and Bobby... 
uh, Drucker are here. Uh, we're talking about the Three Brothers Bakery. So, before I, I want to ask you about Houston, about the community down here. We've gotten perspectives from so many different people, from so many walks of Jewish life here during this program. But go back for a second. Is this what's the message of this whole story? This, you told us a story of survival. People can read about it online. There are many articles that have been written about your father and what his family went through. He ends up here in Houston. Is there? We could all come up with the greater lesson from this whole story, but is there anything in particular you would say about this story of survival that just makes it so unique and so remarkable? You know, the really the hard work ethic that they had, I, I've never seen three guys work as hard as these guys. And just the their survival is, you know, they will not fail. It will not happen. And, you know, just the constant... Uh, Ability to survive is really the is really the right. the story behind the three. So brothers. as much as we acknowledge, you know, fate, the one above, and the role that that all had in survival, you're saying they were survivalists. This is yeah. it, it, this was their mo. Yeah, and you know, yes, we got hit by by this horrible flood right. and got water in and had a lot of damage, but. You know, the, the story is we're going to survive. Well, that brings us to today. Were you guys closed for a period of time? We were closed for three, day, uh, three days. Um, relatively lucky compared to some others? Or? Relatively lucky. I, you know, uh, my wife is, uh, went to a, did, a, did a program like a, it's like a, what is it called, the uh, MBA? Uh, the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Program. Right. And so she did that program, and she met a guy in there who had a... Uh, a surf pro uh, dealership franchise. Right. franchise, whatever you call. So we we saw it was coming. We called our employee. He's up in his knees to water. You know, he's telling us everything's flooded in here. My wife gets on the phone at three o'clock, three thirty in the morning, calls this guy up and wakes him up and says, "Hey, we need you to come down and clean us up asap." By three thirty in the afternoon, the guy was at our building. <laughs> Cleaning up with ten guys and four trucks and you know ten thousand things. They, they, have, huh? they have green trucks and it was like seeing that knight in shining armor right. come when galloping up. up in their green trucks. Right. Yes, they were our heroes. We had mud in the back. It was I don't know. It was they were hauling it out in buckets, you know, and we threw a bunch of stuff away, of course, and uh, you know they got us cleaned up and got us. By the end of that week, uh, you were back. Yeah. With no, by the next day. By the next we, day, you were we, back. By the next day, we were already prepping so right. we could open for the end of open. the week. And right. we have other stores, so right. as long as that production right. facility's down, the other stores have nothing to sell. Right. So we had to open. Sort of like it's the commissary, right? It That's provides right. for everybody else. That's right. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at ninety one point nine on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Janice and Bobby Jukar. It's the Three Brothers Bakery. If you want to read a story of tremendous Jewish survival and really an incredible Jewish family, all you got to do is Google that online, and a lot of articles about what your family went through will pop up. Give me, before I let you go, give me the perspective, and you've been here so many years, the perspective on Jewish Houston. What is so unique about this community? What could you add to the conversation we've been having about this unique uh, community? You know, the people here in Houston are just so warm and, and inviting and make you feel really, really like you want to be here. And um, it's about the people here. And the people are 
tremendous here in Houston, Texas. They will have you over and treat you like like no other. It's all about the people, huh? It's all about the people. That's the message for all the communities. This guy right here. This is also one of the great people of Houston. (laughs) Is this Ed Schreiber? This is Ed Schreiber. This is Ed Schreiber. Ed Schreiber from Bancor South uh, Insurance Services here in Houston, Texas. Before we move on to uh, Ed, I thank Janice and Bobby. Thank you. Look forward to visiting you at the Three Brothers Bakery. And great Thank to have you, you on the air. You. Thank you so much for joining us yeah. here today. Bye-bye. We're at the JCC down in Houston, Shit. Texas, everybody. The epicenter of activity for the Jewish community tonight. We're pre-recording our Wednesday morning show on a Tuesday. And tonight here at the JCC, there's much discussion going on with representatives of FEMA and others that are helping people in uh, difficult situations right now recover from the uh, after effects of the Memorial Day Shavua storm. Ed Schreiber is the Houston Region President for Bancor South Gem Insurance Services. Welcome to JM in the AM. Thank, thank you very much. I can imagine this has been a uh, a uh, challenging evening for you. Am I correct? Well, there's a room full of people in there that whose lives have just been totally turned upside down. It's a right. difficult process. And so part of our job is to advise and to work with and sympathize and as as we say down here, it's not our first rodeo, and it's not Janice's first rodeo, and that's why I wanted Janice to stay, because Janice went through Hurricane Ike, uh, which was our version of Hurricane Sandy. Right. I mean, where you had the wind, you had the water, you had just... The perfect storm, as they say. Right, the total destruction. Right. And Janice became one of our, our poster children for how to get through <laughs> the process. And, and you're laughing now. We weren't laughing in 2008. Um, and Janice actually wrote one of the finest how-to manuals of what to do to be prepared when you own a business. You know, the things you have to do, the records you have to keep, the collections you have to do, the service providers you have to have on speed dial practically. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a lesson that your individual outcome, unfortunately, depends a lot on your individual community. The people you know, the people that can help, the people you've helped, and the the phone calls. How quickly can you make the phone calls? Tell them how quickly you were on this this time. Oh, this time she described it for us. It was amazing. This was our, yeah, this was our best transition right. for a disaster. This is our third disaster in our best. Experience transition. is everything, huh? Experience is everything, and it's also who you know and knowing, like, the surf pro person was on the phone with um, – Ed's agency, Gem, I still call them Gem Insurance. They right. have another name now. But Bank without them, I mean, we would be out of business without this insurance company. So I give him all the credit. We would that Having a great insurance agent makes all the difference in the world. And they're in there with, in the trenches with you. And they wrote the right coverage for us. And that's key. My, 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 my PR person sitting yeah. next to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here stunned because I know people that had, let me see if I, get, if I remember this correctly, who had flood insurance but not hurricane insurance or hurricane insurance but not flood insurance and ended up losing millions of dollars worth of inventory. You don't want to see businesses close. Right. You want to work with them in advance to make sure they're covered with every nuance of language that any insurer would insist upon. Well, and at least clients don't buy everything we suggest to them, but what we try to do, what we try to do, 
Janice. Janice says Janice, she does. Yeah. Yeah, she does. She covers all the bases. Well, Janice has had experience. Right. A lot of people, you know, you have to make a financial judgment. Yeah, what do I take? What do I don't take? What do I self-insure? What do I cover? And, uh, you know, fortunately in Janice's case, um, Susan Wheel, who's one of my associates, who's worked with Janice since she became a client now, I don't know. It was right before Ike. It was right before Ike. So probably 2007, right. you know, sat down with Janice, went over coverages, took what she had, said, we think you should do this instead of this, and put a program together that when it came time to say, how did it work? You know, let's go let's go back test this and see how it worked. And in Janice's case, it worked beautifully. Was it easy? No. Did it take a year and a half, two years to get back to where she was? But fortunately, in that two-year period, there was income coming in because of the way the policies were written. There was enough coverage to cover the damage to the, the ovens and, and, and the cases and to pay the employees. So it just worked. Do you work with homeowners as well? Or oh, yeah. We have a large homeowners. Right. Yeah. Now, you're one of the homeowners. Yeah. Uh, we had, we had uh, about 40 homes flooded and probably bought 150 cars in this right. last uh, in this last storm. And um, it, there are people we saw today that are very concerned about what they are entitled to, and I assume they mean both FEMA and insurance company money. You don't want to see them leave town, I'm sure. You want to see no. them rebuild. You want you don't want to see businesses close. You want to see them you know, rebuild and rebound. Right. Uh, but yet, people are coming here tonight really with a big question mark. They just don't know yet. Well, and I think it's like any storm. This, and I know this is a... T- hard thing to say we don't have the question issue on this storm that we had on hurricane ike and hurricane sandy where you had fights between the flood insurers right. and the windstorm insurers correct so in, in many senses is it a hurricane or not a right. hurricane right. that that question's not on the table right so this will be an easier this is a flood this is a flood everybody right. knows this flood if you had flood insurance right. you're going to get some money right. if you didn't have flood insurance you're not going to get any money right. so in some in that sense it's a little easier um but it just takes time because with all the FEMA changes since Ike and since Katrina and since Sandy, now the building codes are different. The stipulations of when you can build, how you can build are different. It is not easy. And so now that's the difference this year between previous storms is the layers of complexity of getting your building permit, of, of deciding whether you have to elevate your house. Right. Is, is FEMA going to approve your plan? So that's the layer that's here now that wasn't there before. And, and also the insurance doesn't cover living expenses. That's where FEMA comes in. So you, even though you have insurance, you think, oh, I can't apply to FEMA, right. but you can apply to FEMA to get that. There's so many things people need to know, I'll tell you. And we want to see the community rebound. And by the way... Um, there's another aspect, and that is that uh, great places like the Federation, Jewish Family Services, are reaching out, and I'm sure many other uh, religious groups and other groups are reaching out trying to help with whatever funds they can. Mm-hmm. So we will also ask people out there who are listening to remember to keep those funds active and to you know contribute right. as much as possible. Everybody together, hopefully, can help everybody here rebound. That's what we're here for. It's a great community. Houston's always been a very giving community and right. a very accepting community. And... Um, you know, you ask Bobby what makes Houston special. What, why is Houston a special place, and what's different about it? Correct. Houston's the kind of place that nobody really cares where you came from. You're here. You're working. You're part of the community. You're now a Houstonian. That's right. You're now a Houstonian. <laughs> we don't really care where you went to high school. We really don't care about those things. We care about can you get the job done? Can you be part of the community? Are you willing to give? Because if you're willing to give, we're willing to give. When we were hit by Ike, a little boy came to us with money out of his piggy bank. 
That's heartwarming, Sweet. I know. Mm-hmm. Janice, thank you. Ed, thank you. Pleasure meeting you both. Thanks. Uh, and this, I believe, is, where are we here? This is the uh, director of the Hebrew Free Loan Association, Rachel Yorowitz. Am I right, Rachel? Yep. Welcome to the show. Thank you. A pleasure to have you here. Uh, JM and the AM, as we broadcast live from Houston, Texas, well, you know, live pre-recorded on a Tuesday night for a Wednesday morning. Well, if you are uh, in charge of the Hebrew Free Loan Society, the Hebrew Free Loan Association of Houston, Texas, which is um, almost 80 years old, right? Exactly. If you're in charge, you must have had a very busy month and a half. Oh, sure have. <laughs> I could only imagine. Uh, he, I mean, Hebrew Free Loans in, in so many communities goes back a long, long many, time. Many years. Essentially interest-free loans, right? Helping sure. people who need to get back on their feet, setting up a reasonable payment schedule for them so they're able to handle exactly all this. What we do. What's the last six weeks been like? Um, we've been inundated with applications, phone calls, um, very, very needy clients calling, um, asking for help, and we're there right. to help them out. And in many cases, not always a gigantic amount of money is needed, right? In some cases, they just need certain exactly. basic expenses right. taken care of immediately. Right. It's it's about, um, we've had um, $500 loans right. to um, ten to $15,000 loans that they've been asking for, and um you know, we're here to give it to them. Um, we go through application process. We, um, you know, request why they need those loans and things like that. And, you know, we would like to do whatever we can to yeah. help them out. What's life like pre-storm for the uh, Hebrew free loan? <laughs> um, that's a Pre- great question. Pre-storm, it's like... Uh, it's, sure. It's a, it's a little bit more of a uh, calm atmosphere, I assume. And you take applications exactly. and people have needs and right. you're able to speak to them and arrange things, etc. This is more of a an emergency, very exactly. hectic type of situation. Emergency um, situation here. Um, before our Memorial Day flood, um, we, we have applications coming in for home repairs, for medical expenses for um, car purchases, right. things like that. Necessities. And, um, and necessities like people don't have the money for food to put on their tables, right. medicine, things like that. So 99% of the requests in the last six weeks are flood-related? Most or of them are. And um, because we've had so much exposure, like we're doing tonight here at the right. JCC, um, We've had so much exposure, and people are recognizing us and and coming up with different needs as well. So we're having um, needs for flood victims. You're becoming even more high profile now. Exactly. People are learning about how uh, generous you are and how willing you are to be out there and help people. Rachel Yarowitz is here, Hebrew Free Loan Association here in Houston, Texas. You can imagine how they've been inundated over the last few weeks since the flood of uh, Matzah Shavuos Memorial Day. First of all, was your home damaged at all during the storm? Um, my home is is not part in not in the community that was affected most. So yours is so, intact, thank so God. So thank God, ours is. We had a lot a lot of flooding on the streets, but nothing came in. Right. We're not in the flood zone. Uh, but no doubt, you've seen a lot exactly. of the damage that's gone on. Yeah. How is this community? We'll talk about the Jewish community now in particular. We had a chance to speak about Houston in general earlier. How is this community rebounding from your point of view? Are they, is, is everyone still in a state of shock and it's going to take a long time? Like, How would you describe what's happening here? Um, everyone is slowly coming um, coming back. Um, the whole community has been so helpful, whether 
it be um, meals, um, doing laundry, carpooling, um, you know, contributions, whatever it takes. And everyone lent a hand in any way that they could. If they couldn't contribute financially, then they did it through meals or through carpooling or for, you know, having people's families over for weeks. A lot of volunteer work going on down here, to say the least. And that's amazing. That's something that we are, that we do very well with here. It is amazing. I think the Jewish community in general does it well. Something in particular about this town really steps things up, and that's obvious from our short visit here. Very lucky. Uh, Hebrew Free Loan Association, Rachel Urowitz, website. I I see on the website you have a place where people could donate. Yes. So which website should we uh, call people's attention to? Um, Our website is www.hfla.net. HFLA for Hebrew Free Loan Association.net. We recently started an endowment fund um, as we're a small organization helping um, many people within the community. Um, and we rely on small on small donations, so we started an endowment um, to to raise money for the future. Information um, about that on the website? Yes, there is a tab on our website to donate to the endowment, and um, whatever you can give, that that would be great. All right, thank you so much. I hope our listeners will come through with something, and I really appreciate you visiting us. Thank you for having us. A pleasure. Continue your amazing work on behalf of everybody out there. That's uh, Rachel Urowitz, Hebrew Free Loan Association. Sam Pollock is here. The last time Sam was uh, alluded to on the air, Yoni Pollock, his son, was on the radio just after the storm to describe how his father was uh, sleeping on a kitchen counter, I believe he said. Uh, didn't get much sleep that night. You didn't but, sleep much. Uh, but you were trying to rest a little bit on the kitchen counter. That was my plan of action. There was it nowhere was, else to go. It was right after Yontif, and the uh, rockets were on that night. <laughs> the TV was on. Didn't know anything about the weather. Came home from shore. It was pouring rain. Next thing we knew, there was a little water in the house, and before you knew it, it was uh, 40 inches. What does your house look like now? Uh, nothing about under 40 inches. We have a chandelier that's there and a few ceiling fans. Your son, when he was on the air, and I'm told he's out of town, is that true? He's, he's out out just graduated YU. Mazel tov to you. Uh, your son, when he gave his report to us, seemed very positive, extremely optimistic. I said, this is a kid who just went through a storm like this a couple of nights ago? Um, and he seemed to indicate that you guys will rebound, you know, rather easily. Yeah, we have a lot of faith. This was not the worst night in my life. Uh, over five years ago, I had a double transplant. I was blessed with a 20-year younger heart and kidney. There was a buy one, get one free sale, so I took <laughs> both took of both. them. And, uh, so with things in perspective, right, now I right, know where right. the Pollocks are coming right. from. Right, this was nothing. But thank God we survived. Uh, we're looking future. And uh, we're going to make it. Where are you staying now? We're at a friend's house who went away for the summer. And uh, we're looking, we just, we're going to rent the house for the next year. Uh, looking at two different neighborhoods. And there's a housing shortage in from communities. You're staying in Houston, huh? Oh, for sure. I'm here 35 years. I left Brooklyn. Would never go back except for a good pastrami sandwich. <laughs> what an honor to meet you. Yeah, my pleasure. I really appreciate it. Take Sam care. Pollock, Thanks for everybody. He's uh He's a resident of Houston, Texas, and a very, very optimistic one, to say the least. Okay, um, so we have here, remind me, we have here, who do we have here on the air? Anybody want to tell me who's here? 
Is this, you hand it to me on a piece of paper. I'm sorry about that. And, uh, this? This is Holly, Janelle, and Amy? Not in that order. Not in that order. Holly, Janelle, Amy. Welcome to the show. <laughs> you like that? What do you want? I, I, I was not, I was not handing things in proper form. What can I tell you? Anyway, uh, these three ladies are three people who could tell this remarkable story of the last, uh, six weeks. Um, where do we begin? Uh, do we begin with the, uh, with the, 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 with the bad or the good? With the damage that this community has suffered or with the incredible volunteerism and the amazing stories that have gone on, uh, to give people hope and to really help people start rebounding? Where do we start? Well, I think the two of them are so intertwined. When people saw in the community the level of flooding and damage, then my son and, and, and other people, Janelle's son, um, Avi Passi, they went out in canoes, they rescued 12, 13, 14 families, got people out that needed medication, helped them, and that was the initial initial response on the ground. Did you, did you know your kids had it in them to get into a canoe and start rescuing people? Yes. <laughs> you knew it? <laughs> you knew they were the adventurous type? My son's definitely the adventurous type, but I was a little concerned because this is type, this is the type of thing that even like the Houston Fire Department, right. uh, they're professionals, and even they they would lost, hesitate, right? Well, they lost some people, and you know, the, one of their canoes overturned. It was it's really dangerous. It's serious work. So I was glad I knew about it kind of afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. And they were responsible, as you said, for a large number of people being rescued, which is pretty amazing. Sam Pollock, who was just here, who yeah. spent 12 hours on his kitchen counter, uh, counter right. and being a double uh, transplant right. recipient, he couldn't be in that contaminated water. I mean, what he what, had to do his best to stay away from right. it. Right. I mean, all of our kids got sick one way or another. I just told Holly today that her son would complained of um, after effects of being in this contaminated water, right. also. So. Uh, yeah. it's, it was a big uh, disaster that could have happened that didn't, but there were still, it was dangerous. Yeah, was i got to make this point to the audience. It's so important. Aside from the fact, and we've heard so many stories and seen so many pictures, aside from the fact that people are wading through three, four feet of water, that water is... Not spring water. <laughs> that water is filthy, <laughs> contaminated, can certainly lead to, to sickness, as you indicated, and it just adds a whole new layer of you know challenge to deal with when you're in that type of emergency situation. Right. That's correct. It requires antibiotics. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. As she knows, her daughter got sick. My daughter got sick. I mean, it was really uh, right. just from helping other people. My daughter's in uh, sixth grade. So uh, she was helping to clear up and to muck out. Um, Holly's son was uh, out there being one of the first responders. And, and some of the people who were, who were rescued were very vulnerable people, so it was very difficult to get them out. Elderly, couldn't Elderly, move around. Elderly, all ill. And so there was uh, a number of uh, overturned, and, and the water stayed around for a long time. So everyone who had something... That touched the water had to get rid of it. So once the water kind of uh, once the bathtub opened, right. right? Then Janelle had to was somehow appointed the point person to help everybody muck out and take out and and our kids at the Robert M. Barron Academy 
they actually were excused from finals if they volunteered to help mucking out. So we had one kid who arranged for all these groups of kids to come in and just help people throw away their lives, basically, throw away their family uh, photos and their books and their all the, you know, you don't go out and buy a house full of furniture. You take it piece by piece by piece. And you have your pictures and you have your collectibles and you have all of that. And these are mostly one-story houses. So it's the, it's different from what happened in um, in New York and that's with Sandy. And that's, it, this People is, had somewhere to run to. That's right. They had their second stories. A lot of it was the basements were flooded right. in, in Sandy. But here, this is your entire first, your entire, your entire only floor that gets flooded, and so you lose everything. Uh, Barron School has how many students, approximately? Uh, about 300 okay. students of from EC, ECE, whatever, early childhood, right. all the way through 12th grade. Of the 300, how many yeah. were directly affected by this devastation? Of the, uh, what's 12%, the estimate? 12%, 12% of the So a good, a good number yeah, in the school, right, and right. obviously, as you said, many of them who were not would then volunteer and get involved in the whole process. Right. Even the ones who were affected were volunteering. Right. right. So they were out there. Avi Passi was one who was right out there immediately rescuing people when they're in his boat and his family's swimming across the street to higher ground. Yeah. The Barron School has made a national reputation for itself for Jewish <laughs> for Jewish heroism in general. Did they come through the students in this case? Absolutely. In the area of Jewish they heroism? were phenomenal. <laughs> 1,000 hours. Anybody they, doesn't know what I'm talking about can Google it, but <laughs> Barron's always made a statement about being out there and being uh, filled with Jewish pride. They demonstrated they, a lot of pride yeah, in this case as well. They really did. 1,000 hours. 60 high school students and 1,000 volunteer hours that were counted so far. Not, and right. that's not all in yet. And the middle school kids were also helping to what, make sandwiches and to do right. other things. In and, whatever way they can help. And the other thing is a lot of these families were housing displaced families as well, giving their clothes away. It, it, just, it has been a phenomenal community experience and a phenomenal Achdud experience also not just among the various shades of orthodoxy right. here I mean, we were calling Chabad, Rav Chaim where do, where do you need, <laughs> we got a we got a house here, can you go there, do you got a team here, can we go there I, it was just really I, I spent 18 years in New York, I've never seen anything quite like this and um, it, it was phenomenal and it, there's a lot of pride but now we got to clean up and our shul is is we're back to one room. I mean, you know, my daughter's got a bat mitzvah coming up. What are you going to do with that? Right. So you're referring, I assume, to our Gelman Shul. Right. right? Gelman, yes. And we were there today. The room you're referring to is essentially, I guess, a social hall. It's now been converted into an everything room, right? right. An all-purpose room at this yeah. point, including right. davening. I mentioned that, uh, and by the way, Rabbi Gelman, uh, I said this earlier in the show, very dear to so many people in the New York, New Jersey area, old friend of all of ours, and he'd be here if he wasn't away out of town. He'd be here, I'm sure. At the show, and we had a chance to visit his shul today and, and saw the outside of his devastated home as well, which so many of us saw photos online. Uh, and I keep saying that we thought that we'd walk into, at least I thought I'd walk into the shul today and see some semblance of recovery. It's just the opposite. They've stripped the shul and the entire sanctuary completely bare right. to this point. And the only thing that is in any type of, uh, you know, any type of, has any type of action is that one room you described. Right. But the entire school that's there and the, this main sanctuary and the supplemental sanctuary, and it's it's all in but a state of devastation. I think then again our community has come through for us. The school is temporarily relocating right. um, to another place for two years. Right. Rich Shalom right. graciously agreed to host them. Um, 
the Beth Yeshurun has, has graciously agreed to help us with all of our Simchaot and other things that we are doing. And uh, so it's, it, it may be small in the one room, but I think we have an amazing community that stands behind us and stands with us. So oh, no. I think we will recover. No question about it. I don't want to lose the emphasis on the positive because there is so much positive that we saw. Uh, just many of us who care didn't realize that you know the community is going through what they're going through. That's the other all. thing is, so tomorrow night we're going to have a meeting to decide what, as a congregation, right. we want to do right. with the, the synagogue building. Rebuild, move, do something different, whatever it well, is. Well, there's right. only there are limited choices right. because of two things. One are the, the available locations, and the other is quite honestly money. Because we only, I mean, the same people who uh, are would we would go to for a capital campaign, they're rebuilding houses. Sure. So plus, they don't know when the next storm's coming. Right. So we all have to mitigate against that, and we're going to have some pretty high up houses when we're we're done. (laughs) Can you beat the water eventually? (laughs) Can you can you build your house high enough to beat the water? (laughs) Right. I mean, that's going to be the race. You know, can you get up six feet? So it's. And we're just really worried about keeping the community together. I mean, I moved from New York 18 years. I love it here. It's a great place to raise kids. You know, you don't have to schlep the stroller to the grocery store in three feet of snow. It's really wonderful. No snow down here. No, it's just not that much. Um, But, you know, are we going to be able to keep it together? And that's what we're facing now. Um, And I'm sure people up in New York and New Jersey... They get it because of Sandy, because, you know, there were people... I mean, I will tell you, one of our friends in the shul, he had his entire house knocked off of his foundation by the force of the water. I mean, that's incredible. So, um... We remember that from Sandy. Yeah. Lots lots of that happened. Yeah. And, in fact, one of the families with, with three little kids, they came down... After Sandy, they swam across this this uh, torrent of water this time to get their kids to higher ground to safety, and they said, "Look, they were renting. They're they're lucky." But everyone's got a choice to make now, yeah, and, uh, and we uh, thank you for coming down here also because to to also for us to know that people care about us outside of Houston and it's more than just our little community trying to keep things together and keep the families um, solid. Holly, Janelle, and Amy, I thank all of you. How hard is it to get a hold of a canoe, by the way? Um, actually, people have them now in their houses. They do have they them. They do. Right. They have so it wasn't that difficult. They, they've got them. I just found it funny. Yeah, my kids grabbed a canoe and went and said, you know, I'm wondering, wow, how fast can you get a canoe? Thank you very much, ladies. Thank you. Thank you very much. Kolaka vote. Uh, Some amazing people doing incredible work and leading wonderful families in the aftermath of uh, the big storm. The Matzei Shvu is Memorial Day storm here in uh, Houston, Texas. Don't forget the web address where you can donate, HoustonJewish.org slash Houston Flood. Again, that's HoustonJewish.org slash Houston Flood. We want to thank all the people responsible for us being here. First of all, those in the New York, New Jersey area who felt it was very important that we be here, thank you. They probably um, prefer to remain anonymous, but I thank them very much. Lee Wunsch and the staff of the Jewish Federation of Houston, especially Rody Franco and Jennifer Friedberg. Rody and Jennifer, thank you. I know you worked very hard with Mark over the last couple of weeks, and I thank you very much. Uh, Joel Dinkin, the Executive Vice President and the staff of the JCC of Houston, thank you. Rabbi Barry Gelman, who I mentioned, of course, 
who no doubt if he was uh, if he was in town would be joining us. And we wish Rabbi Gelman tremendous Hatzlacharaba as he rebuilds uh, both on a personal level and, of course, with the entire congregation. Rabbi Barry Gelman of the United Orthodox Synagogue of Houston. You have an unbelievably beautiful shul. That we were able to tell earlier today, even through the devastation. So continued Hatzlacha. Lonnie Schooler of uh, Jackson Walker LLP. Lonnie joined us earlier with a, with a conversation regarding the uh, history of Jewish Houston. Jacob Camaras of the Jewish News Service. Thank you, Jacob. Janice and Bobby Juker, the owners of Three Brothers Bakery, and Allison of Integrate. Thank you. Linda Berger, CEO of Jewish Family Services, or by Guido Moskowitz, who was here with the Meyerland Minion. Rachel Urowitz from the Houston Hebrew Free Loan Association. Uh, Holly, Janelle, and Amy, we thank them again. Mayor Anise Parker, who was with us, the mayor of Houston, Texas. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. What an honor that was to have the mayor of Houston join us and thank us for coming down here and joining us. Uh, how does Holly pronounce her last name? Sin? C-I-N? Holly Sin, welcome to JM in the AM. Hello, nice to be here. I want to I want to thank you publicly for inviting us into your home earlier today. Your home's a little different than if we would have been there a couple of months ago, right? A little bit different. Yeah, a little bit. Um, it was interesting the story you told us, and I'd love for the audience to hear that uh, you went to sleep that night and uh, Monday night after Shavu, it was a three day untip. And you know, three day untips are not easy to begin with, Holly. You know that, right? <laughs> and then and then look what God had in store for you after the three day untip. Exactly. You went to sleep that evening. And all of a sudden, while you heard some type of slushing noise in the middle of your, you know, semi-sleep, you realize as you touched the floor or tried to that you were in the middle of uh, a big flood uh, in your bedroom, uh, which is on the first floor of your home, and that's where it all began. And the adventure of that night just, you know, kept going and kept <laughs> yeah, going. Yeah, the adventure. Yeah. Pretty amazing, huh? <laughs> it was. Where rough. are you staying now, by the way? Where have you made your temporary home? We've been staying in the home of our dear friends, Dr. Ruth Katz and Arik Sharon, who are in Israel uh, at the moment. But they took us in. They have taken us in before. They were our uh, flood. They were our evacuation central. Every, they're every your, time, they're yeah. your flood family. They were our flood family. <laughs> every time a hurricane was coming and we thought a flood was going to come, we went and took uh, refuge in their home. So they are in Israel. They're coming back. And uh, actually, we plan to evacuate from their home so they can have it free from visitors. And we're going to stay at another home of our friends who are also in Israel, our dear friends, Rabbi and Fagy Grossman. Um, we'll be there for a month. So that's the plan for now. Were you, uh, in retrospect, were you able to save from the house what you would have wanted to save if you had time to think about what you wanted to take out of that house? Yeah, thank God. I, unlike other people who really, you know, lost much more in terms of personal goods and uh, memories and stuff like that, we we really did not lose uh, things that can't be replaced. We got about two feet of water, less than that, and uh, most of my, all of our svarim were up high. Most of my pictures were up high. My wedding album was below the coffee table, and it was in a box, and it did get wet, but. Um, I guess somewhat miraculously, I was able to take it out and all of the pictures inside, although the album itself was moist, right. uh, damaged, but the actual pictures inside, and I don't have any, dig- it was 18 years ago, 18 and a half years ago, I don't have any digital uh, remnant of that uh, to reproduce it. Uh, but the pictures themselves were 
uh, were not damaged, and I'm confident, although I haven't looked into it because other pressing matters, I will be able to rebind the book. And, and you joked with us, and the reason I'm laughing is because you joked with us because you found the wedding album. You told your husband, I guess, we're still married. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That was a message from God. So. <laughs> at least, at least that. And look, uh, as we've, uh, and this is no secret, people know how human beings are. It's always the most sentimental. And, you know, important collectibles, so to speak, that mean the most. Uh, that comes after physical safety. Thank God your family made it through physically okay. Uh, there were people in this town who, who, uh, met, really a, met a terrible end. Yeah, right. who suffered. Uh, and, um, and I didn't have a young, I mean, my kids were older. My right. kids, my sons, I have three sons, two of whom were at home at the time, uh, 13, uh, almost 13 and well, 12 and a half and almost 14 actually. And, uh, no, so that was fine. We weren't on tables. We weren't in any rescue. So we leave your home. We leave your home, and our our general manager, Miriam L. Wallach, makes the following comment. She says, could you imagine the one thing that this woman, Holly, says to us at the end of the visit is that I need, that uh, how, how can I not rebuild this house? And how can we not rebuild this neighborhood and synagogue? Because I need more visitors more guests i need to entertain more people who are you know who want a nice shabbos atmosphere whatever the case may be that that's interesting that that would be foremost on your mind as you're going through this whole difficult experience well i mean i'm I'm really hoping that our community won't take as big of a hit as it uh seems you know we're a small community and uh uh, five of our families, and we're not a large community, five of our families were flooded and and a uh, few of them are deciding to leave as a result of this and not necessarily rebuilding and so, yeah, it's not just my house that I'm worried about, it's the it's my community, but uh, you know, it's a shame because it's we have a really wonderful, small, close-knit community. We met Rabbi Moskowitz earlier. He's been absolutely fantastic, a real leader and a real um, inspiration for all of us, you know, Keeping up, keeping keeping positive, and helping out as much as he possibly can. I mean, we couldn't ask for anything more from him and from Malka, his wife. They've just been, uh, you know, true Hasidim for us, true 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 help for the community. The truth is that most of our neighborhood is not in the flood zone. However, right. some of us are in the flood zone, but most are not. It's uh, but the perception of our community is that it's in the flood zone. So you might not want to buy a house there, but it's really not the actual truth. The the house, there are houses further away from the bayou that have never flooded before, and they're lovely, and uh, we really have a beautiful neighborhood. So it's a little bit sad for me. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, what's the big lesson from all of this as you think about uh, the recovery and the rebuilding that's going to have to happen in your family situation, and you are concerned, obviously, about the future of the community in general? What is the, what is the big takeaway from all this? By insurance. <laughs> That's it, huh? <laughs> Don't go uninsured. No, I mean, look, uh, you know, Hashem sends us challenges, and uh, hopefully he sends us the wherewithal to overcome the challenges. You know, I, I, as I said, I wouldn't want to be in a situation that other people were in. I mean, I wouldn't want to be in, uh, you know, nobody's sick, nobody's dying. Right. You know, it's all something that can definitely be overcome. It's exhausting. It's tiring. Um, but we, we know that there's a good light at the end of this tunnel, and uh, God willing, we should make it through. Well, thank you for joining us. I hope next time I visit your home, I will be able to be one of those guests that you crave so much. It will be wonderful. We have a bar mitzvah <laughs> December 25th. If you're in town, please join us. All right. It will be a big celebration. God willing, the house will be in order by uh, by that time. Bezrat Hashem. Thank Bezrat you very Hashem. much, Holly Sid.
Holly is um, uh, is uh, one of the people that uh, has a positive outlook, even though she may not think so. Seems to me like she has a positive outlook about everything that's about to happen down here in Houston. Uh, I remind you that the Federation has a website where you can donate at HoustonJewish.org, HoustonJewish.org slash Houston Flood. That's HoustonJewish.org slash Houston Flood. I mentioned Rabbi Gelman earlier, and um, again, he happens not to be in town this week, but if he was, he'd certainly be among our wonderful hosts. His president, the president of the president of the synagogue, correct? president of the synagogue is Max Reichenthal. hope I pronounced that properly. Reichenthal. Reichenthal. Matt gave it a little European touch. That's good. Max Reichenthal is the president of the uh, United, remind me about the name of the synagogue. United Orthodox Synagogue. why I can't get that straight. United Orthodox Synagogue. Uh, you were hosting us earlier today as we toured the synagogue. One of the points I keep making, and I know for our listeners at this point it's going to be really repetitive, but I'm going to make it again, is that when I walked into the synagogue, I assumed after seeing the pictures from six weeks ago and everything Rabbi Gelman had posted and sent to you know family and friends, etc., I had thought that uh, I would see a sanctuary that's sort of rebuilding, that's sort of in the initial stages of coming back. And, of course, it's just the opposite. You're at a stage now, six weeks after the flood, where the main sanctuary is completely devastated. We're not quite sure what the future brings. And where the synagogue in general is really in one all-purpose room at this point. So people have to realize that, you know, six weeks later, many of us think that the recovery has began. It's going to take quite a while to get everything back on its feet. Yes, uh, it will take quite a while. We uh, we first want to take care of our family members, right. uh, the members of the synagogue and their families and their ho- their homes. And the uh, team that we have is doing a great job with that, and it's still going on. And now we're getting together with focus groups and groups of members to, to give us their ideas and their opinions on what to do so that we don't just make decisions based on what we think. Um, I have a business of my own, but I really try to make sure when I, when I run the synagogue that I make sure I listen to other people as well. How many families are in the synagogue? 325 plus. It's a nice number, to yes. say the least. And do we have any idea how many were directly affected by the storm? S- possibly 60 that were were flooded to the point of being out of their homes. We had another That's 10 a large to 15. Percentage. It's huge. Ten, and we have another 10 that were damaged as far as their... They're garages like ourselves, right. my wife and I. And uh, we, we mentioned this earlier with some of the parents. Obviously, I'm, I'm sure you saw many of the kids in the neighborhood and volunteers in the synagogue go and help those who are in difficult situations, right? Help it clean out their homes, etc. unbelievable what we saw. And the beauty of the tiny silver lining that there is with something like this is that the Jewish community from Houston and nationwide comes and helps in, in times of need. And it really is an amazing thing, whether it's Orthodox community, conservative, reform. They've done unbelievable things and really helped us out a lot. Tell me about the Chumashim, because a lot of yours were damaged, right? Yes, yes. So tell we, us what happened. Well, we uh, we had uh, we had people that were calling, and we had members of our shul that know people in other places, and they received emails and calls from people different places in the United States. And we had one shul, um, the name of Mosaic Law uh, congregation. congregation congregation in in Sacramento, California, <laughs> that was amazing when I called them, and they said. You want them all? We'll send them all. They and sent so you boxes sent of three, art scroll chumashim. Three hundred and twenty art scroll chumashim, the ones we were going to order, and uh, they were amazing. Um, and uh, we, we can't help, we can't thank people like that enough. Uh, we had uh, other shuls that sent us a, a few a few chumashim and of different types, and uh, we had uh, it was unbelievable. Corin Co- Sidurim. Corin uh, gave us Sidurim for huge discounts. Wow. 
uh, to help us out. How long has the synagogue been at its current location? Uh, since 1960. Oh, wow. And has it had damage from other storms previously? This is the third. Third damage from storm. And nothing quite like this, I assume. Nothing quite like this. Uh, this is probably, the difference now is, um, pr- I mean, I'm not sure what the real difference is now. Uh, the, the the number of people living in the community is probably the real difference. Mm. Um, Fifteen years ago, when the last storm hit, or 14 years ago, we had, we only probably had half, maybe a quarter of the mem- number of people living within the A-roof. And within this section, probably about maybe 30%. Why has the community grown so much in the last 15 years? I mean, we've had great leadership with Rabbi Gelman. We've had uh, we've had growth because of our medical center and because of all the things going on with jobs in Houston, job growth in Houston. It's been really a fantastic thing. And that's why prominent Jewish organizations proclaim that Houston is one of the best places to raise an Orthodox family. Yes. And uh, if pe- prospective people want to come down, you would tell them, wait a couple of months, and then you can come down and see what's going on here, right? <laughs> you can come down now. They it's can... not bad now. It, it, is, is it great? Even no. with all the devastation, with you all would the devastation, say you're going to see an amazing community. I would think you'll see even a better community because people are getting together in one room, helping people, helping, helping turn it over so that we can have a kiddish. You know, it's not just the help in the synagogue. It's the members in the synagogue now. Right. In many ways, I'm sure, going back to the grassroots effort that started the synagogue. You know, That's what it is. People, Absolutely. People getting down to the basics, so to speak. Absolutely. Uh, speaking with the president of the uh, United Orthodox Synagogue, Max Reichenthal, is here. Uh, as uh, This is an important week, as you said, for the congregation. The, a lot of decisions are going to start being made and you know, in terms of the future and how the congregation is going to handle all of this. We wish you the best of luck with all of this. Uh, you know, different synagogue administrations are known for different things. I'm the administration that put in the air conditioning. I'm the administration that got the new Sidurim. This administration is going to look back on, and, and it'll be the administration that uh, really was, at, was there at a very important crossroads for the congregation, you know, for the future of the congregation. Nothing for sure. That's uh, It really is an important time. And yeah. I have a good leadership team and good people working in the synagogue to uh, to try to make it make it a lot better. Great meeting you today. Thank you for hosting us. Thank you very much. Appreciate, Appreciate it very it. much. Okay. Uh, Patricia Mancha, is it? Patricia Mancha is a FEMA spokesperson. This takes me back a couple of years when we did this with uh, Superstorm Sandy. The, the the most loved and the most feared people in the entire process. I don't want to say hated, God forbid, but you know how it is. Yes. People are in very difficult situations. We saw this up close and uh you know, with our own eyes, when it came to uh, to the uh, to Superstorm Sandy in New York, tonight's a very important night because, and we're pre-recording Wednesday morning show uh, this evening on Tuesday night here in Houston because a lot of people don't know who to turn to, how FEMA works, what deadlines they need to reach in terms of applying, what the government possibly would consider giving them depending on their situation. Have any of those questions been answered tonight? Well, we try to answer those questions at every opportunity. But, you know, there's still every time that we meet with the community, there's still someone who needs to hear it. And I think there's a couple of things that we really want to emphasize. First of all, if you have not done so, please register. We cannot emphasize that enough. There is a time limit to this, so it's not like you can wait perpetually and decide, you know, August 1st, well, I think I might get up and register today because it may be too late. Right. July 28th is the deadline. Yeah, we saw in New York the deadline continuously be extended, but I don't know if that's going to happen here. Yeah, we don't know. That's right. up to the state. They right. requested, and so as of now, there's no request that's been made. So that's the first thing. And if people don't know how to do it, there's three very simple ways. They can go. They can call 1-800-621-3362. They can also go to the, their user smartphone or their app, their any kind of application, any kind of device, and just download the FEMA app. 
It's completely free. They can do it there. Or they can go to FEMA.gov right. and they can register there. So it's very easy. You can do it from your home. Or, of course, you can go to one of our disaster centers. Do you give recommendations to people around the country about what type of insurance they should be holding? People, <laughs> people should consult, right? They should get involved no matter what state they live in, in, in figuring out what's best for them in their homeowner situation? You know, that's a great question. And the thing is that people should know their risk right. because it all depends on where they live. And if they're in a zone, flood zone and, and, and they have to map and all of that. We have a lot of experts here tonight um, that can actually answer those questions specifically to where you live. Right. If you didn't have a chance to come tonight, because obviously people will be listening on the radio, they can go to FEMA.gov. Right. And there's actually there a FloodSmart app that they are... Um, information they can plug in their address and it'll tell them their risk so they can know if even then they're not satisfied they can talk to their insurance agent and actually get a comprehensive review of of their insurance we're not promoting or plugging any kind of product right all we're saying is know your risk and you're here to help which people don't always realize. You want to help. Well, you know, one of the really big challenges is that we see people in one of the most difficult times of their life. Right. And we know that. So and they're desperate for help. and They are. And a lot of people who have never, ever needed help before. That's another thing. Correct. So they don't know how to work the system. They don't know. situation for them. Exactly. So, you know, I can tell you one thing. We have people here from all over the country. Anybody who has ever experienced FEMA. Uh, knows that we have people travel from all over the country who come here. They come here only to help people who need the help. And so, you know, we're ready. And, and yes, we're here to help with the government. Patricia, (laughs) thank you very much. No, thank you. And I know the community thanks you as well. Well, we, we are really appreciative of this opportunity to meet here with the community. There, You saw the great turnout right. and, you know, a chance to talk to people one-on-one and to really help them understand the process because it can be difficult. But for everything, please go to our website. It's easy. You can do it at home. Thank you. No cost. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Patricia Mancha from uh, FEMA, spokesperson who has been very helpful this evening to a lot of people. Well... How appropriate that we close out this historic radio program, as far as I'm concerned, with Lee Wunsch, who is uh, the uh, head of the Federation here in um, Houston, Texas. Uh, Lee, you know, I mentioned I mentioned just a few minutes ago with uh, the president of the congregation that um, you know every era of leadership has the you know, has people look back on it and, uh, you know, have different things to say about it. This was the era of, you know, when they plug in, whatever. This is now a very important crossroads for this community, to say the least. The Jewish Federation so far, at least for those of us who are watching from thousands of miles away, uh, has had a stellar reputation in the way they have responded to try to help people in the uh, neighborhoods and communities down here in Houston, Texas. And I, I cannot imagine that that's going to stop here. I'm sure you're committed to just forging ahead and getting this community as back on its feet as possible. Absolutely. We have to be here for the long haul. This is not a, uh, it's six weeks since the storm. It's not a short-term recovery. This is, uh, could go on for years. Right, no question about it. The after effects, certainly for years, and the immediate effects for sure for a year or two. Right. We talked about the important benchmarks of a year from now, of two years from now. There's going to be some very important decisions that need to be made, and really some very important uh, acts are going to have to be undertaken. People are going to have to step forward and figure out. You know, what is the future here in the community? And what, what does the community need in order to survive and thrive? Right. right now, the families are, as you can imagine, very focused on their short term. They want to get their home yeah. back to pre-flood status. That's a, for some families, that could be an eight months, ten months, could be a year. 
So we're helping them with that. But look, the, the greatest priority is to preserve the Jewish character of our neighborhoods because without that, we don't have a Jewish community. That's correct. You take great pride, and we've been emphasizing how unbelievably united this community is. It's certainly unique. I know people have have tried to point out, even during this show tonight, have tried to point out that, you know, there are a lot of communities around the country like this, but there is something unique here in Houston that's happening, and it seems that the uh, camaraderie, friendliness, overall cooperation seems to be at a very high level. must make you very proud being one of the leaders down here. This is a great Jewish community, and people don't know about it uh First of all, Houston is the fourth largest city in the United States. Soon to be the third, it's going to surpass Chicago. And most people don't know that. I didn't know that. Fourth? I would have guessed 18th or something. Fourth largest city in the United States. And the Jewish community is a very small, underrepresented in the city. Uh, But it's a great Jewish community uh, that for the most part, gets along very well, all the different segments of the community. And, of course, an event like this, people tend to raise the flag and rally together, uh, and we want to maintain that. And it's easy to lose sight of it when you're scurrying around trying to get your home repaired or your shul repaired. Are people like you, lifelong, I know it's not your entire life, but many, many decades, uh, long resident of Houston always thinking about the next storm, or it's not... It's not like that. You're not, you're not, there's not that type of paranoia down here. There's not that type of paranoia, but if you've lived in Houston for any number of years, you know you're you're living in uh, one of the cities, 50 miles from the Gulf of Mexico, that gets, you know, we have to deal with the tropical weather. It's going to be a byproduct and of life down here. Part of living in Houston. Right. We don't have to deal with the snow of the tri-state area. We have to deal with the heat, which you experience today. And with living in a tropical climate. Now, is today typical or not? Because I, I thought today's temperature was close to 100. I, I saw it was in the mid-80s. Well, I is invite it, you to come back in August. It's, it's more even worse than this, huh? It's even worse. Yeah, we have a number of our top community leaders that have second homes in New England or Colorado. And For they, that purpose, to escape, escape the heat. That's interesting, I'll tell you. So is August more of a, uh, I, don't, I mean, I know, for instance, in Florida, one, one would consider it a pretty dead month down there. Is it, is it very slow well, here in August? July August is very slow. But, of course, toward the end of August, the school year is starting. The Hagim are coming. So people, you know, start... They start drifting back. Drifting back uh, middle end of August. How are we doing with the HoustonJewish.org slash Houston Flood campaign? And has it, over, has it exceeded your expectations? It's exceeding, but has it not yet fulfilled our expectations? There's so much more that's needed, right? We've raised close to a million dollars. It's a lot of support from the Jewish Federations of North America. Right. But we need more. And again, when the price tag for the community doesn't include insurance, FEMA, and so forth, could approach $5 million. When we're just talking about the immediate community. Yeah. not talking about the whole city of Houston. No, just the Jewish community. Between the families in need and our institutions in need, we still have a mountain to climb, which is why we need people's help from around the country. No question about it. HoustonJewish.org slash Houston Flood. HoustonJewish.org slash Houston Flood. People like yourself make sure that those funds are distributed properly and you have a lot of great organizations out there that are doing incredible work. We spoke to Hebrew Free Loan. spoke to Jewish Family Services. I mean, you have a lot of people on the front lines who are making sure that people in need are getting what they need. Great organizations that are out there right on the front lines helping families and helping our institutions and it's our job to make sure it's coordinated and, and, and well-funded. 
Lee Wunsch is the uh, president and CEO of the Jewish Federation of Greater Houston. You have uh, an amazing position here. It's been wonderful having you as a host. Thank you for welcoming us the way you have. And I hope that our listeners, uh, look, I hope that financially people respond, obviously. But I'm, I'm, I know that they've got a tremendous amount of moral support. And uh, today's show has certainly uh, helped everybody get a glimpse as to what's happening here in Houston six weeks later. A lot different than I think what a lot of people thought. We really, really appreciate you coming and spending the day with us and hope you'll come back soon. More pleasant occasions. Yeah, next time for a big celebration, I'll tell you that much. Thank you, Lee. Okay, thank you. Call like a to you. Uh, I want to thank everybody associated with today's show for making it a great success. Go to HoustonJewish.org slash HoustonFlood. That's HoustonJewish.org slash HoustonFlood. Thank you to Lee and the staff at the Jewish Federation especially Rody Franco and Jennifer Friedberg. Thank you to Joel Dinkin, who we spoke to, Executive Vice President of the JCC. That's where we are. We're at the J. Uh, thank you to the staff of the JCC of Houston. Rabbi Barry Gelman of the United Orthodox Synagogue of Houston, who we told you would have been on this program if he was in town. We uh, continue to wish him Hatzlachar Rabbah with him and the congregation re- rebounding from this uh, from this storm. Lonnie Schooler, who was with us, spoke a little bit about the uh, Jewish tradition and history of Houston, Texas. Jacob Cameris of the Jewish News Service. I want to thank Jacob. JNS.org for information. Janice and Bobby Juker, owners of Three Brothers Bakery. Um, I want to thank Linda Berger, CEO of Jewish Family Services, Rabbi Gido Moskowitz of the Meyerland Minion, Rachel Urowitz of the Houston Hebrew Free Loan Association. This has been this has been an action-packed show. Max Reichenthal, president of UOS, United Orthodox Synagogue. Holly, Janelle, and Amy, who are pretty amazing. Julie and Amy, who both represented their families with their stories of the uh, that Monday night in their homes and the aftermath, the terrible damage, unfortunately, to their homes. And Mayor Anise Parker, the Honorable Mayor of the City of Houston, joined us. It was a great bonus. Thank you, Stan, in our studio. Thank you, ZK, of course, here. And a big thank you to our producer, Mark Zomick, and the amazing Miriam L. Wallach. This was a show that was many weeks in the making, and uh, no doubt... A, uh, a great source of pride for those who felt it was important for us to come down here, and we thank them, those who felt we, it was important for us to be down here in Houston. Mark Zomick, thank you. Really amazing list of guests. A lot of great people down here. There's something about a community. I don't know if we always feel this when we do shows in the New York, New Jersey area. There's a community, and it seems like everybody who was a leader in the community showed up here tonight and was part of this. Well, I think what was interesting, what obviously <clears throat> even the people who watched the video won't necessarily see was we had obviously you just read a lot of guests on the show i don't think there was anybody who came in who had introduced themselves to any of the other guests (laughs) good point they all knew each other even the mayor even the mayor right she she held court you could have heard in the background (laughs) for a good 45 minutes after she went off the air all the community was pretty much surrounding her she is you know i guess maybe partly because it's her last term she's a very popular mayor (laughs) Um, not running for re-election but um the very, I mean, everybody knew in, in all of our conversations up until, you know, we got here today. Everybody really knew each other. Yeah, no question amazing. about it. Miriam Wallach, there's a uh, there's a small group of people we have to thank, because you you uh, mentioned to me that without the help of our friends at Traveler's Choice, oh my, 
Devora, Yussi, everybody at Traveler's Choice, we would not have had the smooth journey. Forget it, we wouldn't have had a car. <laughs> we wouldn't have had the smooth journey to Houston that we did have. Devora was a doll. So thank you, Devora, Yussi, and everybody at Traveler's Choice. As usual, like they've done for the last, oh my gosh, how many years is it? 25 years? You're going to date yourself. Don't do yeah. it. Don't As do it. As they've done for the last 20, 25 years, <laughs> they have, of course, have, and ZK could attest to it, they have been at the forefront of making sure that all of our remote broadcasts go as smoothly as possible, and I thank them. Very, very much. We have about a minute left before we go to our closing theme. I remind everybody, HoustonJewish.org slash HoustonFlood, HoustonJewish.org slash HoustonFlood for information. Our Thursday edition of JMNAM will include Charlie Bernhout coming in with appropriate cantorial selections for the three weeks. And, of course, we have other things going on this week as well once we get back into our New Jersey studio. Um, but this has been a really an amazing journey. <laughs> to, to, to have taken all this in in such a short amount of time, to arrive and uh, to get a quick uh, three, four hours around the community and then to come back to the JCC and do a show like this and meet all the people we met and speak to all of them was just remarkable. Final thoughts, anybody? I have to thank Mark. Mark! I could, I could never have produced this show. I have to thank Mark. Mark Zavik! I don't often agree with her. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. <laughs> Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial. Around the world in the web, jmandtheam.org. And that will wrap up. Our journey to Houston and our visit with moral support and hopefully some financial support for the Jewish community of Houston. Go to HoustonJewish.org slash Houston Flood. Big thank you to Lee and all of our hosts. A special thank you again to um, uh, Joel Dinkin, the Executive Vice President of the JCC, where this radio program emanated from. And special uh, kudos to Jamie Turkel, both for social media during today's show and, of course, for the amazing brand new Nahum Single Network tablecloth that nobody can get over. It's simply remarkable. Plenty more in our studio on Thursday, and by the way, plenty on our stream all day long right now at jmnam.org as well. Make sure you listen in or tune into the NSN app. Have a fabulous Wednesday. Till tomorrow, Nahum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.